Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Listeners, you've made it. Heck, we've made it. It is day four of Softball Media Days presented by Anthony Sinella Realty here on the Out of the Box podcast. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. There were some dicey moments. We did get all 13 head coaches, and now we're starting the final episode of this second year of our venture, Tom. Amazing. It's it's similar to the college football season. It takes so long to get there, and then it's gone just like that. Remember when I sent the emails in October? <laughs> now you're listening to this episode on December 10th. Yes. That is how long it takes to get all this together and what an episode it will be. And by the way, you're welcome. Yes. <laughs> We've got Patrick Murphy from Alabama, Samantha Ricketts from Mississippi State, Joe Evans from Texas A&M, and then our fall ball special. We'll talk about fall ball. We'll give you some stats from fall ball. I mm. tracked everything T-Town stat wise. We'll answer some of your mailbag questions. We will give our way too early top fives in no particular order in the SEC. So all that coming up later in the fall ball preview. Of course, make sure that you follow on Twitter at outofthebox underscore pod. Subscribe, leave a review, do all the stuff. I always would forget to say that. Now I really don't even know what to say. So just do it, please. Right. So I don't have to keep saying it. Well, one thing that's cool is that, you know, Spotify did the the wrapped. Yes. Did, yeah. And seeing that we actually come up in some people's wrapped, which is, which is weird. Uh, but we do know because of that, you can like and subscribe on Spotify as well. So it's all there. Yes. Shout out to at Olivia Kelly, who had us as her top podcast oh on my. Spotify. Thank you, Olivia Kelly. And also, we're sorry. Yes. I wish there was another option for you, but we thank you for your support. <laughs> I saw how long she listened. I was like, wow. It's a lot That's of a Tom lot of, and Gray. It's a lot of Tom and Gray. <laughs> mm, now I know what our listeners during the season feel like. Of course, this is all brought to you by Anthony Sinella Realty, part of Alabama Beach Realty, from Mobile down to Orange Beach, Gulf Shores, the whole area. Offerings for military veterans, first responders, teachers, 30 off appraisal, 5% donation of his earnings uh, from your transaction goes to a charity of your choice or your local first responder sector, buying, selling, investment, rental, anthonysanellarealty.com, 251-301-7694. Part of Alabama Beach Realty, part of Bama Youth. Yes. I want to go to the beach. You could go We've to the only beach. said it for two right. weeks. You could, you could listen to like two episodes of the Out of the Box uh, <laughs> softball media days on the way down to the beach. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Alabama, Mississippi State, and Texas A&M. We'll start with a small preview of the day. Coming into the year, Tom, I, I need to do more research before I say this definitively. But I think it's safe to say that Alabama's got one of the top five one-two punches in the circle this year with Fouts and Kilfoyle. Good options behind. But, you know, again, I, I got to look at the other teams around the country, but I think that this pitching staff 
if Alabama does win the conference this year, and I think there's a good chance of that, it'll be behind the strength of Fouts and Kilfoyle. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, definitely in the conference, I think it's the best one too. Like I said, I have to look through some of the other uh, top names in, in the nation to see where they, they stack up there. But uh, I think you're going to be very hard pressed to beat, to, to beat Fouts and Kilfoyle as a one too. Yeah. I mean, Lexi Kilfoyle would be the number one on like 98% of all, you know, all teams in America. And if you're able to pitch her on a Saturday of a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series, mm. Montana on Friday, Lexi on Saturday, whoever's got the hot hand on Sunday, uh, I think, it, and cause that's, that's the one thing that I think people forgot because, you know, you had the perfect game against UCLA, Montana really, you know, the postseason especially uh, was, was, you know, it was all on her was there was a point last year during the year that Lexi Kilfoy was the number one. Yeah. And that was with a healthy Montana Fouts on the team too. Lexi <laughs> Lexi Kilfoy was number one. Uh, so, and she can step right into that role again if necessary. So it's going to be very difficult to find somebody with a better one too than, than Fouts and Lexi. Speaking of one twos, how about at the plate? For years, it has been me and fa, me and fa, thunder and lightning. Now begins life after fa. For Mississippi State, the biggest question we had coming in, and we'll talk to Coach Ricketts about it, who will protect Mia Davidson in the lineup? And Annie Willis is back in the circle. That's big. But you can't just straight up replace Fale Lua. Now, they've got other options. This is a team that brought in some some good freshmen and some important power transfers. But overall, you know, how they're able to fill that hole – will I think decide how successful Mississippi State is this year we'll talk more about it later but that's the biggest question we had I think so too because you know even the stats are what they are and everything else Falalua was one of the most dangerous batters and the scariest batter that you face maybe terrifying just just anytime when you got her out you were happy so it's this is one of those those spots for Mississippi State are you going to be able to, re- to replace that in the lineup? Not necessarily one person, but can you replace that overall production uh, to protect Mia Davidson? Yeah. And then finally, Texas A&M. For two years, we've talked to Joe Evans, and she has preached youth, youth. This team is young. This team is young. Is this the year A&M makes that jump, or is the foundation being set for maybe a jump next year? something we were wondering. And Coach Evans, again, just shout out to her. She looked like she was having a blast recruiting out in California, just sitting. I don't know where she was, but she turned the camera around and showed us water and palm trees and and good, you know, good for her. Go Joe, you got it. Beautiful sunset behind her and everything. Yeah, Yeah, it was going, she was having a good time as well as she should. And I think that they are set for it to happen this year. If you get one or two of those, the freshman sophomores to really come up and help give the compliment to Haley Lee in that lineup. Yeah, that's all coming up on this episode, but we do start with the Alabama head coach, Patrick Murphy. As we record today, the newest inductee in the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Tom, I was at the banquet last year and I was looking through the docket and I said, what the bleep? No one from softball has been in here. And lo and behold, that has been rectified immediately, obviously, there are so many things that we wish we could say about coach Murphy, but this is a, we do try not to go on for three hours here on this podcast, <laughs> but bottom line, I think we both believe it's deserved. Absolutely. We're proud of him, happy for him. And now we just need the sec to make sure that second Missouri game is not at the nighttime. We need that to be an 11 AM first pitch. Jill Skatar, Zach Magaronowitz, if you're listening, Alabama, Missouri on the 7th, 11 AM. Yeah. That's what you got to do because May 7th, I should May say 7th. May 7th, 
11 a.m. The, the first pitch between Alabama and Missouri. So to give uh, give not just Coach Murphy, but all the rest of us that want to go and see that that uh, induction ceremony, the chance. And uh, so it, I, I think it really just says a lot, not only about Coach Murphy as a person and, and what he's been able to do as a softball coach, but the fact that he is the first representative in the state for the sport of softball, I think says a whole lot and he's not going to be the last. I mean, it, yeah. this is kind of going to, I think going to open up the floodgates as far as that goes. Yeah. We'll address that more. There's a mailbag question about that, but yes, uh, there, you know, he's first for a reason he should have been. Yeah. And coach Murphy, we're just so proud of you. Yeah. We're just so proud of you <laughs> as our, as our head ball coach. Yeah. And, and another way we can add in when we talk about the hall of famer, Patrick Murphy. Yes, I know. Got <laughs> so many halls of fame. Yes. All the uh, plaques and, and busts all over the place. Also, he was on this podcast. He was. Yes. And this is the longest interview of anyone because we know our audience. And, yeah. you know, it's mostly Alabama people. We appreciate all the other fans, but it's mostly Alabama people that tune in. And Coach Murphy goes on a lot of, a lot of you know, deep discussions about mm-hmm. topics. And then just an all-time tangent at the end where we couldn't even ask all the questions because right. the timer was running out and just gold laid out about the gender equity report oh yeah great stuff there and, and this was you know you probably can tell a little different uh if you're if you're new to the podcast or you know don't don't listen during uh, the season uh where you are the the radio guys for alabama so this was probably more of a conversation than an yeah. interview we didn't uh, have to ask about last year because we already did right and we we know anything we need to know exactly that so i think we we went more in depth on each on each individual player probably we did on other people because you know again our audience we know alabama people so we're we're, we're wanting to know how everybody is doing so uh we talked pretty much about everybody on the roster we talked about a lot of stuff what happened in, in the fall and then uh what we're expecting here for 2022, which is going to be, I'm just like, I wish it was starting tomorrow. I'm so ready. <laughs> no, I, not tomorrow. I need, th- I'm busy this weekend. Okay, but right, after right, that, right. if we want to go on Wednesday, because I'm getting my, I'm getting my booster shot on Monday as we oh, record. Wow. I'm kind of scared. Everybody I've talked to said they've gotten severely ill. So. Oh, great. <laughs> Yay for that. <laughs> <laughs> so pumped. Okay. Let's get to Patrick Murphy, the Hall of Famer. Hmm. Alabama Sports Hall of Famer, Softball Hall of Famer, all the Halls of Fame. Alabama Head Coach Patrick Murphy right here, beginning day four of Softball Media Days. Softball Media Days continues, and this is always a fun one for Tom and I. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury, chatting with the man that we see every weekend in the spring that we chat with before every broadcast, Alabama head coach, Patrick Murphy, coach, welcome. How are you? Hey, good to see you guys. It's, it seems like it's been a long time since, uh, what was that last June? Um, yeah. Five years ago. <laughs> uh, but I'm ready to get going again. Well, so are we. And that's the beauty of talking with you because this is an Alabama podcast. We had you on the season three finale so we've already talked about last year. We don't have to look back. We can look forward. And we're going to start with two big additions from the transfer portal. Allie Shipman, Ashley Prangy, bringing them on uh, this offseason. What do those additions mean for the team, especially Allie, because we know that the catcher position was one that you wanted to add some depth to? Well, both of them have just been, number one, great young ladies. You know, they fit the profile of an Alabama softball student-athlete. Um, great grades, great families, and just, you know, great human beings. And then, you know, everybody that we talked to about both of them 
the first thing that'll always come up was work ethic. And, you know, Montana played with Ashley Prangy in, in summer ball. And, you know, she said, Murph, she's going to be the hardest worker on the team. And um, it's just been a bonus in terms of um, experience as well. Because obviously, you know, they both have been in Division One softball, Power Five schools. And Kaylee Tao, you know, as kind of the lone true senior, that would have been really tough on her for leadership and, you know, uh, all the things that go along with being a senior. So to have those two come in and they've really blended extremely well. I mean, I can't tell you how good the, the chemistry has been. And sometimes, you know, when you get a transfer, it, it takes a while, like too long. And with these two, they've just, you know, attached themselves to younger kids, older kids. Um, just, you wouldn't even believe that, you know, they've only been here for shoot four months. It just seems like they've been with the program forever. And, you know, I love that part about them. And, and um, you know, and then on top of that, they're pretty good softball players. So <laughs> it was uh, just a big bonus. And, you know, Allie's been hitting really, really well this fall. Prangy's barreling the ball all the time. So I'm pleased, really pleased with both of them. And being able to add transfers has always been, you know, available. Uh, but we've seen it even more so here with the explosion of the transfer portal and people getting put in there. Um, has that changed the way that you recruit or build your team, knowing that you can kind of go into the portal and and, and pe bring people out? Well, I haven't like, I, I think some schools, you know, and I definitely think it's happening in football, you know, and some of the other sports is, you know, let's say we're going to hold two scholarships, three scholarships, whatever, you know, we haven't done that yet. We've just been um, fortunate where we had some money left over and, you know, um, but I think it's here to stay, you know, five, 10 years ago, I would have been, you know, just really disappointed if somebody had ever even thought about leaving. And, and now, I mean, you look around at every school and somebody's coming or going and, you know, I hate to say it's the, the, the age that we're living in or whatever, but it basically is. And, you know, sometimes you're going to lose a kid, but sometimes you're going to gain two and two really good ones. And um, so I think uh, we gained two really good ones. So it just worked out for us. And I know it's, you know, you can look around the, the country really and see um, what a big impact the portal is going to have on some schools this year. Coach, you've talked about how important Montana was in both of the transfers that came in, Allie and Ashley. And I think it's really fascinating when you look at the record-breaking year she had last year. I mean, she tied her career high in strikeouts twice in the postseason when it's supposed to be hardest. She had the perfect game against UCLA. And then you look at how it finished, and you could almost argue she is a chip on her shoulder coming into this season. How has last year motivated her further? And what has she done in the offseason to get somehow even better? Well, I think you're right because, you know, I go back to that final press conference with, with her and Bailey Hemphill and, you know, it was obviously you can look it up on YouTube. You can still watch it to today. Um, but that was one of the hardest things that I've been through where, you know, it, it was still COVID protocols and you go into the, the um, interview room and usually it's filled with press and it was just, table, table, camera, camera, and, you know, um, 
my boss, um, a couple of sound guys, that's it. Hmm. And even the gentleman that narr- there that, uh, that moderated the press conference, he's in another room. So you sit down and then the two athletes, you know, face in a camera and then the media get to ask their question. Well, the weird part of it is I'm sitting directly in front of the two that are talking. So I hear everything. You know, I think one of the first questions they asked Bailey was something like, um, can you put into words what her Alabama career meant to her? And then within, you know, 10 seconds, she's bawling and Montana's bawling and I'm bawling and just, you know, I just felt so bad, you know, for both of them. And, you know, obviously Montana was so good the first two and then um, shit happens. And, um, but you're right. I think she does have a chip on her shoulder, which is really weird because, you know, she did throw a perfect game on her birthday against UCLA and um, obviously beat a really good Arizona team that had also had seven seniors that came back and was just a hellacious offensive team as, as witnessed by their super regional versus, you know, the SEC championship team and eliminated them. Um, So, you know, but I think she's, you know, getting um, older in her classes. So it's all her major classes. She had a couple of days where her classes were from like 3.30 to 4.45 because that's the only time that they were offered. So I know Steph worked um, in and around her schedule, the managers, obviously the catchers. Um, but I think she's in really, really good shape. Um, she threw hard. You know, she didn't pitch a lot this fall. I really didn't think she needed to, you know. Um, we had two, pre- two pitchers that really needed to see mound time, and we needed to see what they needed to do better. And we, we got that done. Kilfoy, obviously, you know, is back. So I think we got a really good pitching staff. But again, it starts with Montana, and she's just a really good leader in the bullpen. Um, she has great Mudita for everybody, uh, and every, everybody loves her. So, you know, you couldn't ask for a better person in the bullpen. And you, you mentioned the, the pitching staff. It's not just going to be just on Montana. There's, you know, Lexi Kilfoyle, who would be a number one on 99% of the, the teams in the nation, uh, and then Salty and, and Torrance also. Um, is there a specific combination that, that, you, that you're looking forward to seeing? Um, or, or how important is it that it's not just Montana that you're going to be relying on? Well, yeah, we tried to do that this fall to see which two work best. And, I mean, Kilfoyle's off-speed stuff was just nasty all fall. You know, the players will tell you it's just, you know, it floats in there like it's just unreal. Um, but I thought she really – she got better. Salty did a great job. I thought she was throwing pretty hard um, a couple of times in fall ball, especially at the Rhodes house. And then, you know, Jayla, I don't know, she struck out 12 or 13 in, in the, the game that she pitched the last game. So, I mean, all of them have something really, really good about them. And then they complement each other, you know, so Montana's thrown 68 to 72. And then here comes Kilfoyle with, you know, a shoot a 42 mile an hour off-speed curve that just, it, it almost is like a yo-yo, you know, when you used to play yo-yo and it, you'd spin it down and here it comes back up. It's almost like that yo-yo when it, when it comes in and it's just spinning like crazy. Uh, but Salter, her drop ball looked really good. I thought her changeup looked good, especially in scrimmages. You know, Jayla has a nasty, nasty curve. She hit 70 several times. You know, I think that was one of her um, goals from the off season. 
in Jan or uh, June when we did our exit interviews, you know, she kind of repeated what Montana had said the year before where she wanted to hit 70 consistently. And um, I'm not sure if it was consistent, but she did hit it a couple of times or more than, a, you know, let's say several times. Mm. So, you know, there's an option of a power pitcher right there. And I think she's just going to continue to get better with her outings because she just needs that game time experience to get her where she needs to be. Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy joining us here for the Alabama day in softball media days and coach will now look at the offense and the rest of the team and we'll start with the Bailey Dowling question we did not see her actually play in fall ball but you know she was getting some work in what is her rehab looking like and I guess what are some ways that you can use her in different positions here this season well I think you know we talked about it and I think both of us decided that it was it just really wasn't necessary for her. Um, you know, I don't know if she would have been released, but she's hitting, she's running, she's throwing, she's fielding everything. Um, so we decided that she wasn't going to play, but obviously you guys know she could play second, short, probably could play first. Not sure if she'd want to play third. Um, but, you know, great arm, has a great glove, all those things. So she could play the middle. Um, but obviously you guys know that, you know, she was leading the, the team and hitting an RBIs when she went down. So that was a big, big bat that we missed. And she's continued with her power numbers, everything. That, that part of it is going to be fine. So it's just, you know, I think the biggest part of it is her getting used to the other, the other middle, you know. So mm -hmm. basically the only person that's back you know, Savannah, but she played a lot of outfield as well this fall. Tau, which, you know, she's not going to really turn a double play with, with Tau up the middle. She's going to eventually throw it to Tau. But, um, you know, it's, it's a brand new, lot of new kids on the infield. So she's going she's gonna to have to get used to timing, you know, where people like a throw, things like that, and where do, where do they throw to her. And, um, you know, I think we just got a lot of really good talent on the infield right now. And, you know, shoot every every position still up for grabs so it's going to be uh it's going to be one of the uh, toughest days of my career when we we finally have to do that lineup that's what i was that's the next thing i was going to say is that you have a very tough fun but a tough job this year because you could make a lineup of 15 or 16 people at this point and they would be all uh be be be, be very potent um you know Nate, Gray, and I, we, we try to make lineups and, you know, we're trying to find a way to make sure Abby Dore is in the lineup. And that's something we weren't even thinking about earlier on. So um, yeah. what, how excited are you to be able to put together a lineup with all these, these great hitters? Well, speaking of Abby, I mean, she has just been, if she's not the most improved, she's second, you know, and that's, that's really the only kind of like team, it's not even an award it's just a recognition like we'll have everybody vote on who they feel is from august 18th to november whatever it is 28th who's the most improved player and she she probably would get my vote um just a lot more relaxed she knows what i want she knows what practices are like she knows what michelle is like in the weight room she knows what bullpens are like with steph she knows the pitchers um, you know, a little bit more mature, all those things go together. And, um, I mean, she got barrel almost every day in the fall. 
you know, the, the game time, she hit really well in the, the, the games that we played. So I think she's, her confidence is much, much better right now. So you're right. We've got to find a spot for her. Obviously Shipman, Tao, um, shoot. The other kid that hit really well in, in the fall ball was KJ Haney. You know, every time she got up, she had a double or a home run. Um, so like, what are you going to do with her? And then another kid that's been hitting really well the last two or three weeks in practice, Kayla Davis. And, you know, when she hits it, it's a double in the gap almost every single time. So what are you going to do with her? Um, so there is, and you know, Megan Bloodworth has some of the best, just easy power I've ever seen. You know, like she'll hit it off of me and I, I turn around, I'm like, oh, double in the gap. And it's like halfway up the scoreboard. And in the fall, the, the wind doesn't blow in at Alabama. It blows out or it blows in. In the spring, it's the other way. So fall ball, I always have to take it easy because I'm like, you know, we don't get many home runs that are shoved out for the win. And uh, the other day, it was just like, wow, she, she just got easy power. And um, I think she's going to be good. Prangy's got pop. Um, so, yeah, it's. And Aubrey Barnhart, haven't even talked, we haven't talked about her, left-handed hitter, and she, she's sitting at halfway up the brickyard um, today in practice. So she's another one. Like, what are you going to do with her? Yeah. So you might have to do your lineup again. <laughs> I've written five <laughs> right now, actually, <laughs> after fall ball. And we didn't even mention Jenna Lord. And, and there are just so many yeah. impressive young players that can only fill like three spots. Do you anticipate early in the year, just kind of mixing and matching and seeing what kind of works in the non-conference before probably settling on something in SEC or, or how do you think yeah. that's going to work? No, I definitely, you know, and you know me, when I say, you know, everybody's getting an opportunity, you got to be ready for it. So maybe it won't be the first weekend, but you're going to get an opportunity, take advantage of it. And, you know, we've had kids throughout our history that did take advantage of it. And, uh, you know, like our, our pinch hitters should be some of the best we've ever had. I mean, without a doubt, um, there shouldn't be anybody that's scared to go up and pinch hit nobody because they're all legit hitters. Um, so it's, it is going to be tough. It's going to be fun. You know, again, you know, it's, it's almost, I think we're, this is the first time in a long time that we're more righty than lefty. Mm. I think it's, I want to say six or seven lefties and then, there's 17 hitters, so it might be 10 and seven, 10 righties, seven lefties. Um, so that I think that's a bonus for us because, you know, we face a lot of left-handed pitchers that are just tougher than hell to hit um, if you haven't seen them often. So one of the, with a couple more righties in the lineup, I think that's going to help us too. You mentioned every, uh, every position still up for grabs. Uh, did the fall give any clarity on some of the outfield? Jenna Johnson and Dallas Goodnight obviously looked really good in, in left and center. Right field still, you know, Savannah's out there, Cat Grill's out there. Uh, what do you see from the outfielders? I think I just need – I need to see more consistency just across the board. Uh, and you're right, the first two that you mentioned did really well. But, again, it's consistency. And Cat, and she'll look like a million bucks, you know, and then just a little drop. And I think it's just experience and doing it again and again and again and again. Like today at practice, she she had everything she hit was a line drive up the middle. And that's what we want out of her. We don't need a double. We don't need a home run. 
just be you, do what you do best. You know, don't compare yourself to Tom or Gray or anybody else. Be Cat. And, you know, our short game, you know, we need to be, we need her to be a triple threat. And, um, you know, I think she comes in more, being more comfortable hitting. And, um, but with an opportunity to put it on the ground and to lay down a bunt. And, you know, that's a bonus for her. So just another way to get on base. And she's a green light girl. So, yeah, it's, um, and Savannah, you know, Savannah reminds me of a, a girl we had, Danny Woods, who played first base for almost her whole career. But every time she'd go out and shag, I'd turn around and she's making, you know, Andy Van Slyke plays in the outfield. And I'm like, who is this girl in the outfield? <laughs> and she ends up starting in left field her senior year and never heard us one time. And it was a spot that we needed her in. And she's like, sure, I can do it. And Savannah's the same way. Just a great athlete. She's fast. You know, she gets a good jump on balls. That's the thing that really, really surprised me for not being out there. She gets a great jump. You know, it's not like I, we turn around and, you know, somebody has to yell, oh, good try. I don't say that very often because when I say good try, that means your jump stunk. And um, she's on it. And she's not afraid to dive into a, you know, the, the walls, not afraid to hit the, the back wall. So I would not hesitate at all to put her out there. And she could play all three spots too, without a doubt. And, you know, you got Jordan Stevens as a freshman. Kayla Davis is out there. Cat. Uh, um, maybe you might see Tao out there a little bit. Uh, again, it's that lineup. It's, you know, it's the 10 pieces of that puzzle. And where do those nine pieces fit on the field where you have to have those, those, some of those people that you mentioned, you know, in that lineup and how is that going to fit? That's, that's the key. So, and, and by the way, Lexi Kilfoyle can hit it pretty good too. Oh yeah. That's another one. And <laughs> she did great. She hit today for, you know, we we've told her before and she knows this, but her number one thing is pitching. And I'm sure it was the number one thing for Lisa Fernandez. And it was the number one thing for Steph. And it was the number one thing for Jackie Traina. So you can't be a incredible pitcher and put second. You, you have to start with the pitching and then you do the hitting. And, but like she came today, it was her, her, we get three days of individuals. She gets one day to hit two to pitch. And it's like, she's been here all, all fall. Never missed a beat. Um, every now and then, now and then it's pitch selection with her, but she gets away with it. And, you know, she gets jammed on the handle and it's 220 feet. Um, so when she gets a little more pitch selection, she could be dangerous because she hits the ball as hard as Bailey Hemphill did mm. without a doubt. Yeah. I remember a couple of fall balls ago, Allison Habit said, Gray, have you seen Lexi hit? And I said, no, not yet. She said, Oh, just wait. And then I think her next at bat, she hit it square in the middle of the scoreboard. And, and we saw her hit in some situations last year. I think she hit in every single fall ball home game, at least if my memory's right. Uh, so do you anticipate that, like you said, you know, pitching's first, but do you anticipate that offensive portion to be a big part of her game this year as well? Or well, again, you know, does it just depend? We, we sat down we, at our exit interviews in June, and one of the questions was, you know, number one, do you want to hit? Because if you do, we need to get it better. And, you know, 
starts with me in terms of her practicing where she goes, you know, and obviously the number one thing is her bullpen. But then after that, how can we help you be a better hitter? So we talked about some things and she, she right away said, yes, I do want to continue to hit. So I said, okay, then we're going to, we're going to do some different things and hopefully make it happen where you are a better hitter. And, you know, because obviously you guys know one swing and boom, it's a run mm-hmm. or two or three. So, um, because she's got a nice swing, it's not like she's got a crappy swing and we're just praying that she hits the ball. She's got a good swing. So, um, I think she could help us and she's, she's going to get opportunities for sure. The, the non-conference schedule has been released. Uh, you got another really tough slate uh, with you know, this trip out to Arizona to start things off, Texas coming to town, Louisiana coming to town. Uh, it's going to be a, a really tough slate. And just uh, we've talked about this before, but your philosophy on playing the, the tough non-conference before you go into the gauntlet that is the SEC. Well, usually, you know, I, I say if you got the pitching staff, you go for broke, right? You try to load up and, you know, and um, – at the beginning of the year, we were supposed to go to a, a tournament like close. And we were, we were trying to see who was going to be in the tournament to begin with. And, um, and then uh, Stacy Iverson, the director of ops for um, Arizona, called me and she said, hey, would you guys come out here? We're going to have the Mike Kendra Invitational. And I was like, as soon as she said that, I was like, dude, we're in, you know, because <laughs> it's the first one. It's not the first annual. <laughs> All right, Tom, you know that, right? The first. You can't have you can't have a first annual, exactly. So there will be the second <laughs> annual, but anyway. And you know, when she said that, I was like, okay, let's go. And um, they've had issues too, you know, trying to fill tournaments and stuff because of COVID. And you never know; some schools, it, you just it's it's tough to travel right now. So um, Oregon State, I think, has joined us. So oh. hmm. yeah, so right. you guys. You got a scoop. Um, so it's Arizona, Alabama, Oregon State, and then Southern Utah, which is um, coached by one of my former managers, Carson Owens. So um, we'll see him in Tucson. And um, I think we're still going to play four games. So I don't I don't know the schedule yet, but um, it's four games. We'll do a one two one probably. Um, get out there Thursday and then come home Sunday after the game. And then, like you said, we're going to go to Lafayette and um, you know, that term is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to play at UL on the Thursday night before the tournament starts. So we'll have a non-conference away game. And then the tournament will start Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There's a Mardi Gras parade involved with the tournament. And we actually are going to ride in a float and throw beads, which will be kind of fun. Um, uh, never done that. So that's a first, uh, obviously coach habits and, you know, she's been doing that for her whole life. So it'll be old hat to her, but it'll be fun for everybody else. And then we're going to play, um, five games in that tournament. So it's a six game weekend, which is a lot. And then two at home with Texas and, uh, Florida state's coming in for a midweek, um, single, which will be fun because obviously they had a great year last year. Uh, so it's, yeah, the, the non-conference schedule really, uh, Texas twice, uh, Virginia tech shoot, you know, shoot, they, they might have the best pitching staff in the country, um, with a 
Keeley coming back and then they got a freshman that's legit. So that's going to be tough. And obviously, you know, anybody that wants, anybody that says yes to come to Alabama, they're not afraid to play us. So they want to come and they want to play us. So um, our freshmen and our new kids, obviously Shipman's been on the other side of it playing us, but now that she's wearing red, she's, you know, both of them are going to realize that, you know, the Alabama game is circled on everybody's schedule. Uh, and then we get to do one of our, my favorite things is play a non-conference um, kind of a neutral site. We are the home team, but we're going to play Jacksonville state up in um, Albertville in a really, really, really nice complex. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I toured that up in August and you guys will be impressed. Just unbelievable. Um, what they've done with that brand new facility. Um, and that'll be kind of like the showcase event that they've had up until now. Um, so we'll, we'll, we're glad to do that. It's about an hour and 45 minute ride. And we love Jana McGinnis and the JSU uh, program. So it'll be fun to play them again. And we're easy. We just need internet, but I'm really yeah, excited to I, go. I told, that. Well. I told them that. <laughs> you know, I think you'll like the, the, they have a big, big, um, you know, it's obviously their, the game field, but they have the scoreboard and grandstand press box, the whole thing. So it'll be fun. One and, more, you know, the, or go ahead. We tried to, you know, our, our bye weekend of the SEC is late. It's the second to last. And we tried and, you know, we tried single, single with people. Um, I did, I really didn't want to play four games the second to last weekend of the season. I just didn't think that was cool. So we tried to do a three game series with some people and it just, everybody's playing conference, you know, it's just a hard weekend to get people. And so we just decided to take the weekend off and then final start on that Monday. And then we play Missouri at home um, before the SEC tournament. So we've had years where we did take a weekend off and it didn't, it would it probably benefited us more than anything else. So hopefully that'll be the case this year. That was my next question. So, so that door is officially closed. There won't be any games scheduled that weekend. Yeah. And we added um, Eastern Illinois. Um, they're coming through. They were really wanted to play us. So we're going to do that. And we're going to play them on a Monday, which is a rarity. It'll be a businessman mm -hmm. special or business person special. I think it's at two o'clock too, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, you got to take a late lunch. So that's good. You guys take a late lunch and then you can, you know, eat. <laughs> Hot dogs for two bucks a piece. I don't know. Sounds good. Um, and then we have, um, we're going up to Western Kentucky, Bowling Green um, for Kaylee Tao. It's going to be her, her, her uh, homecoming. We're going to go eat at her house on the night before. And then uh, it's like 20 minutes from Madisonville to uh, Bowling Green. And then uh, that's a really, really good team. Um, and I think they saw what happened at Lipscomb this fall when they had a sellout crowd and, uh, it'll probably be the same thing up in Kentucky. So that'll be the last game before we take that weekend off and then um, get ready for Mizzou. Uh, we've, we've all been through stuff here in the last uh, couple of years with, with COVID and everything that's gone on. Um, what happened in 2020 and then 2021 kind of back to normal, but still not really. Um, how has what's gone on with COVID and the pandemic has it changed the way that you coach your team in any way or your philosophies on anything? I would say it made me a more patient person overall. I don't know if the girls would say that, but I feel like I've 
I've been more patient. Um, you know, it's like worry about the big stuff, not the little things, you know, things like that. Um, I know the alums see it when they came for alumni weekend. And like, you know, of course they're complaining that I'm not getting on people now. Like I used to, cause that's what they got. But, um, I don't know, this is like been one of the most pleasant teams I've been around. You know, I say this probably every year, but up until this point, it really has, it's been just a fun group. I think you guys will really enjoy them. Lively, um, energetic, you know, just friendly kids that it's fun to coach. So they've, they kind of put me in a good mood every day. Coach, there are two more things that Tom and I want to get to before we let you go. First, in a season of off-season headlines, probably the biggest was that the SEC is going to look really different in a couple of years, and that's with the addition of Oklahoma and Texas coming in. Texas, a team that we saw play in roads a couple of years ago since then, we have tried, and every time something dramatic has stopped it, whether it be a pandemic or a generational snowstorm. Oklahoma, I mean, the rivalry is obviously there. Uh, your thoughts on those two schools coming in and what that does for the conference? Well, I said this, I don't remember, I think I spoke to a group at Alabama and, you know, somebody else asked me that question too. And, you know, when A&M and Missouri came in, I don't know, what was that, seven, eight years ago, um, maybe nine, um, the two best sports at those schools combined was softball. You know, A&M had just played for the national championship, lost in the, the series. Missouri had been to the World Series like four times, four out of five years, whatever it was. And, you know... The best sport for the two was softball. Flash forward 10 years. The best sport for these two schools is softball. And it's Again, not close. I mean, it's, it's yeah. yeah, it's not. It truly isn't. You know, people are thinking football. No, not even close. You know, <laughs> I mean, you can look at the Texas's season this year and mm. they're probably thinking, what the hell did we do? You know? <laughs> Um, so it's, I think when you get into it, it's like every weekend, it's just a grind and a battle and now they're going to live it and they're going to experience it. And I don't know how we're going to do the schedule. I know there's a committee for every sport that's already been set up, uh, somebody from the SEC, somebody administrator, and then coaches. And, you know, there's about four or five people that are going to look at every sport um, with 15, I don't think you can play everybody. I don't think you can play 12. I don't, 10 would be pushing it. Um, I don't know what you'll do. Um, I don't think it, nobody wants to play four games, you know, against eight teams. So I don't know if we'll just stay with this. Um, the SEC tournament as well. I don't know if I'd be in favor of all 15. That's a big tournament. Um, you know, it, it might be smart for us to look at the 12 and, um, you know, do it would be what a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, if we go back to the four day tournament. Um, I don't know. We haven't really talked about that. Um, cause that's another tough thing. Uh, cause you, you get basically turning the tournament into a week. It's a week long thing yeah. and right now it is, you know, and I, I told everybody that as the host, um, that was a bear and you guys know it because you lived it, but to have it, we played Ole Miss at home, host the tournament, host regionals, host super regionals, 
And, you know, Lindsay Jones and all her people with game day management were, they had to take a month long vacation just to recover from the month of May. So it, it's, it, and it's, it's hard to host as a member of the conference. You right. know, we're not going to Hoover and playing at a neutral site like baseball. You know, a, a team within the conference is doing all that work. So, um, and that might be another thing we look at as a neutral site for our tournament. And I don't know how many schools would want that. I think we're at a point in our popularity, our TV ratings, everything, that it should be a viable option. Um, you know, and you look at the, um, the NCAA gender equity review, which was not good for baseball and softball. You know, they spent $16 million on the baseball world series. I absolutely love that event. I'm not concerned about that number. The number I'm concerned about was 6 million towards softball. You know, why was it 10 million? You know, I don't, I don't understand that. It's the same amount of teams, you know? They do have, I think they have a roster of 27 that get to travel. We have 20, but you can't tell me that seven more people resulted in $10 million more, that much more money, you know? So those are things that, you know, people that are smarter than me are going to have to look at and, and see where the discrepancy is. Um, I, you know, you look at our TV ratings, who dominated the TV ratings? It was the sport of softball. So it, it, it's now a point in our sports um, life where we're doing really good things and we need to keep doing, you know, keep pushing the envelope. And if we don't, you know, I, then we're, we're stuck with 6 million versus 16. So it's, you know, with the help like you guys, and a lot of people across the country, we need to get that message out that it's a great, great thing. And you know, we have a thousand people still on a waiting list for tickets at Alabama and not those people don't want one ticket. They want two <laughs> or four. Right. Oh, I really could have said there's 4,000 people wanting a seat behind the backstop at Alabama because, you know, I see people at mass or Publix or wherever that say, Hey, I'm 801 on the list. Can you move me up? And I can't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'd love to. But um, you know, well, we saw we saw it at fall ball. These aren't even yeah. games that count. And it's a, almost a, a full a full capacity crowd. Yeah, and they 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 had to pay. Right. You know, that's the first thing. Everybody in the SEC should charge admission for softball. That's the first thing that needs should happen. Uh, anyway. It's amazing they don't, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The, the teams that came for fall ball just absolutely loved it. You know, we're really happy, you know, Memphis is a division one ULM division one. We got to play up at Liscombe. They had a really good team, you know, um, Wallace with AJ Dartery, our former manager, junior college, West Alabama had a really good team this year. New coach. That was a lady that I had coached at Louisiana Lafayette. She's doing a, She's going to do a great job there. I mean, I was impressed with, um, you know, everybody really. So it was, it was a challenging fall. And, um, but I, I think, you know, the, these weeks we give them, we gave them the week off of fall break and then we come back and we have basically three weeks for individuals and it's nine hours of softball. So we try to zero in on not five things that you want to get better at, but one thing and concentrate on one thing a week 
And then the next week comes back around. Okay. We're going to do, we're going to pick something else. So, and you know, once we come back from uh, Thanksgiving, you guys know it's, it's dead week and finals. And that's it. And we won't see them again until what is it? January 12th school starts. And then our first day of practice <clears throat> is that um, Sunday. So the 16th and we'll start getting ready for Arizona on that day. Then we get on a plane and everything starts. Coach, yes. there, there's so much more to talk about, um, but you know, we, we've taken so much of your time already tonight. And so again, Patrick Murphy, thank you so much for joining us here in softball media days. Uh, all the things we didn't discuss, we'll get to during the regular season. <laughs> we need to do real media days, you know, in January where we invite everybody else, but you guys are kind of taking the lead on this. So thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks guys. All right. Take it easy. That is Patrick Murphy, our friend, we are sorry for essentially hustling him out of the interview room. And we were still talking after. And then <laughs> Coach Murphy is a, a good behind the curtain story. Yes, pull we're, back. We're, we're doing this whole conversation about something. And, and at the end, Coach Murphy goes, wait, is this thing about to boot us? And right at that second, the Zoom closed down. This is why I should pay for the full one, except I think I kind of am, but it's still done. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Right. Yeah, yeah but it's. Uh, again, a, a great tangent, as you talked about at the end, talking about the gender equity report that came out and uh, so much to dive in there. We could do a whole podcast yeah. just on that. And we might want to do that. Maybe point. one day. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get a round table or something and just yeah. fire off. And we've heard it from other people, too. I mean, we talked with uh, Coach Weekly in, in episode one, talked a lot about it. Uh, I think Coach Evans is going to talk about it a little bit here in a little bit, too. So and we are I think we're already seeing some of the effects of that report we saw it in women's basketball the fact that they've increased the field to 68 yes uh, i think you're going to see pretty much anything that's being done on the men's side is going to be done on the women's side for all sports moving forward and as coach weekly said this should have been done a long time ago yeah i mean as it should be just in in general it's the right thing to do especially with softball though because again look at the attendance look right. at the tv ratings i mean based on all those measurables Softball is the more popular yeah. sport. So th this has all been long overdue. Right. Also, one more thing that jumped out at me, and we're not going to discuss the player stuff because we've got the fall ball special coming up. We'll dive in there. No, nothing being added in that open series after, before Missouri. And when we come back from College Station after we play Western Kentucky. So that's like a week and a half we have off. Right. And I think in, in the long run, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, because... One of the things we talk about a lot is like when, when you first do, started doing uh, color with, with me on the broadcast, it was during that point of a, of a season. Mm. And one of it was you had a, a late season by and Alabama uh, hosted Washington. Oh yeah. Um, I recall. It did not go well. <laughs> nope. uh, and I think, you know, there's something else that I've done here in the off season. We're going to talk about it during broadcast during the year is I figured up Alabama's record on each individual date. And there is a little bit of a, a dip at the end of April. Yeah. Um, and I think getting some time off and just, you know, recharging the batteries to make a postseason run might be the best possible thing if you're Alabama. So I, I think not playing that week, I'm perfectly fine with it. We recall 2019, Alabama's hot. They're coming off a sweep at Florida. They beat Belmont in the municipal park that people mm -hmm. were mad about. What do they do? They lose two out of three at home to Kentucky and people lost their minds. And right. then they, you know, swept LSU. But sure. 
you're right. There is, it's one of those weird things mm-hmm. and maybe it's not actually that weird because everything does kind of compound and you're almost at the finish line, but not really that second to last weekend. So, mm-hmm. you know, probably is for the best uh, in terms of what we'll do. I guess we'll do a podcast that week and then just chill. And then like, it's exciting. Sleep in. It'll, it'll be, what? It'll be, I know. I look <laughs> forward to it. Uh, Wait, you're many... telling me, are we going to have like watch parties for the games that weekend? Can we just go somewhere and watch softball? Yeah, we might be. Able... Maybe we'll uh, call in the favor with Anthony Snello. That oh, weekend. that's it. Mark it down. That's it. We're going to watch softball at the beach. <laughs> Thanks to Anthony Snello Realty. <laughs> we'll talk more about Alabama later. Next up, we've got the head coach of the Mississippi State Bulldogs, Samantha Ricketts. We'll talk to Coach Ricketts. She's really excited about Oklahoma coming to the league. You'll hear all that, and we'll preview it when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back. Do you have your cowbell? Mm. I had one. I don't know where it went, actually. I'd... Hmm. That, I... Maybe it's gone. It's, it's, someone might have, it's technically against the rules if they grandfathered it in. Uh, it's interesting. I saw somebody... It was a Mississippi State tag, and their personalized license plate was cowbell, spelled K-O-W-B-E-L. Oh, I was like, ah, interesting. Yeah, that's a way to get it. It's like crab at the Publix <laughs> with a K. Yes. It's, it's not quite the real thing. No. Samantha Ricketts is joining us now, the head coach of the Mississippi State Bulldogs, a team that you, you know, just kind of like South Carolina, you made a bold declaration. This one did not mm. quite pan out last no. year. But as Coach Ricketts will talk about, what an end to their season. There was a point where we thought they might actually beat Florida in the SEC tournament because of how they've been playing up to that point. They hit a wall against Oklahoma State because Carrie Everly was doing her thing. But sure. overall, this is a Mississippi State program that at the end of the year, you felt a lot better about compared to where they were, you know, around early April. Yeah, around that same time we talked about in the last, last episode about how much uh, over uh, – how much – better that that Ole Miss was doing than we thought they were about halfway through the year Mississippi State was basically the opposite yeah uh they they were they were putting up a big goose egg in the W column for an extended period of time but then when and the scoring column they did not score a run from the third game of the Ole Miss series to game one of the Arkansas series that's five straight conference games oh and this is you know a team that should have had one of the best offenses in the league. Yeah. But when, when they got it turned around and then flipped the switch, they got it going really well. And, and I, I commend them for not folding the tent and, you know, laying out the string and doing extremely well toward the end of the year and uh, became one of those teams you didn't want to play in the postseason and uh, could be in that same position here this year. We'll see. A lot of it depends on Annie Willis, but I don't want to do too much analyzing because you have to hear from the head coach of the Bulldogs. Let the person who knows what they're talking about. Yeah. We'll talk about it after, but right now, it's Samantha Ricketts, the head softball coach at Mississippi State. She's up next here on Softball Media Days, presented by Anthony Sanella Realty. Softball Media Days continues, and we go to Starkville to chat with the head coach of the Mississippi State Bulldogs, Samantha Ricketts, joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. Coach Ricketts, hello. Good to see you again. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We are fantastic, and uh, your team last year, what a fantastic way to end the season. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a scenario. So after the loss in game one against South Carolina last year, you were sitting at 25-22 and 22 overall and 1-15 in conference play. You finished the year 10-3, and three, 
You won the last seven games of the regular season. Uh, you gave Florida a good run in the SEC tournament. You kind of ran into a buzzsaw against Oklahoma State in the NCAA tournament. But how important was it for your program to finish the season strong and kind of go on the upswing going into 2022? Yeah, I think it was a, a huge moment for us and for the program. And really, it was kind of a turning point, I think, you know, with the start the 0-9 start that we had to SEC play, it really would have been easy for the team to just kind of pack it up and say, well, there's always next year. And they never once did that. And they they wanted more. They knew we were, we were better than we were showing. And they just continued to fight and scratch and claw until, um, you know, we got to really turn our way. And honestly, we really didn't do anything different softball-wise. It was one, just kind of relaxing and then just having fun and enjoying each other and teammates and enjoying playing softball again. Um, and I think a little bit of the pandemic played into that and just the restrictions. You know, we're really a team that likes to do a lot of team events together, really work on the culture. And the restrictions kind of stopped that all year long. We weren't able to do the team meals, um, you know, just a lot of different team activities we would normally do. And about that time when we kind of took our turning point, um, by then, majority of the group was vaccinated and the restrictions were starting to lighten up a little bit. So we kind of, I don't want to say we ignored them, but we really were like, all right, priorities here. We got to do what it takes. And we, we made some adjustments and we did a lot of things outdoors and a lot more focus on just the team and the culture and the chemistry and having fun. And I think it showed up on the field for us and just that kind of momentum shift played a lot into it. Yeah, I was about to say, Coach, no one can accuse your team of not having fun. Some of the videos no. <laughs> that would come out in post game were really awesome to watch. For sure. They are big personalities <laughs> up and down the board, and they just keep coming in. And But, you know, that's important to us. We talk a lot about that. We don't, you know, if you want to be the big energetic bat flipper like Fale Lua was, or if you're going to be the steady, calm presence of Andy Willis, that's okay. We want everyone to be themselves and be them best, be their best selves in our program and be comfortable doing that. And, you know, we don't believe in kind of a cookie cutter approach in our instruction and the same thing with their personalities. And it's fun to see them shine. And as they grow in confidence and really be themselves on the field. And I think we're definitely a program where you see that in up and down, up and down the roster. Well, coach, you mentioned Falilua and, uh, you have Mia Davidson back this year, but you do lose Fa and also Carter Spexart, who really mm -hmm. came on really strong for you offensively last season as well. Uh, how do you go about uh, replacing them in the lineup and, and giving uh, Mia that protection? Yeah, I mean, that was the big focus for us. You know, you, you don't replace the Fale Lua, not that production. Um, and really, same thing with Carter. Carter really was our most consistent presence, I felt, all year long um, and really did a great job for us as well. But yeah, that's a big reason we went and got uh, Matalasi Faapito, another Samoan for us, uh, the transfer from New Mexico State. Um, you know, when her name kind of popped up, like that really, I think, fits in well with our program, what we're looking to do. Um, you know, and the power and the raw strength she has, like she's, I mean, for really first week, we're like, okay, yep, that'll, that'll help. <laughs> and I think she's immediately going to be one that's going to help provide Mia some protection. Um uh, the addition of her was important for that. And also, she, you know, she can contribute in the circle a little bit. And then Shay Moreno, um, the junior college transfer that we picked up from Seminole State. And she's um, she's a fun player to watch. You want to talk personality. She might replace Fa's personality for us. <laughs> but I think both of them are going to be impact players, people that we expect to be in the middle of that lineup, take some of the pressure off of Mia. Um, but obviously, you're going to have to prove themselves in this conference. But 
that's a big focus uh, for us. I think a lot of the returners are starting to kind of step up. That big class we had is now COVID sophomores, juniors in the classroom, but, you know, their third year in the program and really starting to see, I think, some good turning points from a lot of them. So I expect, you know, production from them as well, along with the key transfers that we brought in. Yeah, you, you talk about the returners and, you know, Paige Cook, Chloe Malaulu, Montana Davidson, you've got, you've got a lot of those pieces coming back and uh, you mentioned them kind of coming into their own right now. What did they do in the off season to, to really hone in on their offensive skills and to make improvements going into this year? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the way that last spring went really brought a renewed focus to the off season for the program. Um, you know, when that was when they were home on their own and then coming in this fall, um, you know, we made a couple changes. We didn't want to continue on with everything that was going last year. So had a new strength coach um, that also came in about the same time. And she, you know, that position plays such a big part in the program as well, especially from a mental toughness piece, culture, fitness levels. And she is, I mean, I think she's been a huge part to that work they put in. They are running like they've never run before. And it, it helps with that mental side of the game as well. And that's something that I don't think they realize how big of a factor that plays. Um, but that work, along with what they're doing to practice every day, we've got DJ Sanders with us now as our volunteer assistant coach. Um, and just kind of, you know, the renewed love for hitting that they kind of see from her. And so it's not just coming from me, you know, they've got DJ in there who's closer to their age that really is really insightful. And I think really teaches the swing. Well, um, seen a lot of good work coming out of the hitters with her and then even coach Bratton giving him a bigger role with the infield. And for us, that's another thing we weren't satisfied with was our, was our defense, um, our fielding percentage. We want to make some better, some plays. And, you know, he's really gotten in there with the, with the defense as well. Um, in particular, the infield. But I think overall, the biggest thing is we just finally have depth and we've got people pushing each other. We've got a really strong freshman class that, you know, maybe not be full-time starters this year, but they sure are pushing those juniors and seniors already. And it's, it's fun to watch. It makes us better. Um, and, you know, now we're not going to be holding our breath every time Madison Kennedy fields a ground ball, knowing that Mia Davidson's the backup shortstop for us. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, it, that was kind of jarring at times when we did see, uh, we did see Mia on the stats. Of, oh, wow. She played short. How about that? She played shortstop for the whole month of February. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the circle for a moment and uh, what you have pitching wise. Uh, Emily Williams is is gone, but you have Annie Willis back, who had an under three ERA for you last year, and uh, looked like she she kind of took over being the or will take over being the the ace of the staff for you. Uh, what has she done here in the off season to kind of elevate herself even to that next level? Yeah, Annie definitely um, had a lot of the majority of the innings for us, and another one that just had a renewed focus in the off season. She came back in the best shape I've ever seen her um, at the beginning of this fall and just really has been working hard um, with the amount of innings she threw for us, especially in SEC play. Like she really started to kind of lose steam and velocity down the stretch. And that's such an important part of her game that she, you know, really took that personally and said, I'm going to be in better shape so that it doesn't happen to me again. Um, so I think that's probably the number one thing she's really focused on is just kind of continuing to elevate her game and her fitness level. Um, and really bring up the pictures around her. I think Aspen Wesley has really come a long ways and she, she had her moments in the spring for us, but now I think in year three, she's one in that class, that COVID sophomore group, uh, 
that we really expect big things from. I think her and Annie are like the one-two punch um, on any given day. Annie could be the number one or Aspen. Um, I think they've both shown that they've got really great stuff been working hard. So I'm excited for her to step into that role and get those opportunities in those innings. Um, and then from there, you know, it's a combination of Grace Fagan, the lefty. Um, I think we've got Bree Bauer, our freshman is she's going to be really good. Um, and she, she had a sickness, uh, this fall that took her out for about a month. Um, which was tough, especially on a freshman, but I think she's definitely going to see some innings as we continue to get her some experience out there. Cause she's really has a bright future in this program ahead of her. Um, I think we'll see Mata for some innings. And then really the one that, that's come on strong the last month has been Kenley Hawk. And to me, another COVID sophomore, that's our big class that really you're just turning the corner right now. Um, she could really take on those innings that Alyssa Loza had, you know, the hard throwing closer coming in, just locked down at the end and her composure, the way she's been on the mound, just been night and day. Uh, and she's just got great stuff, added a couple pitches with coach Josh in the bullpen. Um, so I'm excited to see if she can keep that up because she could really be a big factor in when we're using that staff approach for us this year. Yeah. I was really excited to see Kenley this summer at the FGCL and then <sighs> she got hurt literally the first day and I was yes, not on like, that field. Second pitch. <laughs> Oh, goodness. So that was a bummer, but it sounds like she's doing well. Her recovery's gone well. Yes, she came back good. The only difference, she's wearing a mask now, and that's about it. I thought, honestly, we thought she would be a little gun shy or a little bit more so, um, but it really hasn't affected her at all. Like, she still had that focus. She took into the summer league wanting to get better, and just she's confident, she's maturing, and she's throwing upper 60s with some really nice movement. So it's been fun to watch her grow as well. That's always the best part as a coach when you see those kids and that class in particular, there are big class. It's Madison Kennedy, Paige Cook, um, Aspen Wesley. I mean, there's like 11 of them now in that group because of COVID, but you know, we were joking about it. We had them over for dinner, the sophomore class dinner on Monday. And like, you guys remember all the trouble you got in as freshmen, like just that growth that they've come through and understanding like their maturity now and the steps that they're taking on the field and off is always really fun to, to watch. Well, coach, it's really interesting to hear you talk about this pitching staff because we've done this with pretty much everybody else in the league thus far. And you know, a lot of people are still trying to figure out what roles they want for their pitching staff. And it, it, you know, maybe I'm I'm speaking for you coach, but it sounds like you kind of know the structure and the order and where everybody's going to kind of fit in this year. Well, I mean, I think we have an idea, but you know, game one, that kid always <laughs> you can throw it out the window. completely backwards. Yes, absolutely. But I think we tried it. We really are intentional about those roles and what they're going to look like and making sure the pitchers understand them as well so that, you know, they're not surprised in it and they can really take those roles and embrace them and run with them. Um, can they change? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the biggest focus is for Annie Willis to not, you know, down the stretch, she would be throwing the Friday night SEC game. She'd throw the Sunday SEC game. And then she was having to come in in the midweeks and pitch in the Wednesday games because every game for us was such a must win game. Um, you know, that was tough for her to, to take on that big, that pitching load. So that's been a big focus. And I think we've got, you know, the arms that can help take some of that stress off her so she can be at her freshest the latter half of the season. You mentioned getting the big transfer, uh, Matalisi Fapito. Is that right? Matalasi Fapito. There we go. All <laughs> <Yes>. right. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to work on that one as yes. we continue <laughs> along. But uh, <laughs> you should have heard me trying to do Falalea for, for a long oh, time. I know. So. She goes <laughs> by, like, 
she likes we call her Mata every day at practice but when she's announced and everything she's like no I want to be announced with my full name I'm like that's fine this right. is the south we're gonna get some interesting pronunciations today. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah good luck on all that uh but uh, you mentioned grabbing her out of the transfer portal and we've really seen the transfer portal kind of explode here in the last few years uh with players coming in and out of it um how how has that or has it changed the way that you uh recruit and set up your roster yeah it really has been interesting especially and even in the last year now getting rid of the interconference transfer rule where you could even play within conference in the same year. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of strong feelings about it across the board. I know a lot of uh, us on the coaching level have talked about closing that loophole. Baseball has done so where you cannot transfer at semester and play, you know, in one uniform in the fall and be on the field for another team in the spring. And that's something I think we're looking to do pretty quick. It's just kind of a loophole in our rules right now. Um, but overall, I think the portal, I think there's good and bad to it. I think you have kids in situations that maybe weren't a good fit. Um, you know, we still have a lot of players on rosters who committed as seventh and eighth graders and they're not the same and their priorities are different once they're in college. So I do think there's good, um, for us, it's about being intentional and in what we're going after. And I think we try to use it more so as kind of plug and play. Um, you know, we went after Mata, understanding that we probably weren't going to get Carter Spexart back. Um, you know, she was kind of wavering about taking the extra year or not. And we had to prepare as though she was going to decide to not take it, which she did. Um, and just, you know, kind of trying to plug the holes that maybe we didn't expect to have early on. Uh, but for us and, you know, for me and my staff, the development of the players that we recruit and bring in, we take a lot of pride in that. And that's something that we're really trying to do well. And we don't want to over recruit what we're working to develop. And, does that mean we're not going to take a motto when we've got a shot? Absolutely not. But uh, more so not trying to bring in huge classes of transfers every year, develop the ones we have with us, and then fill in some pieces as we need them down the stretch. Mississippi State head coach Samantha Ricketts joining us for Softball Media Days. Now, Coach, we get to the questions we've asked everybody, and I think you're the one I'm most excited to ask oh, this dear. next question. <laughs> Big news in the offseason – Oklahoma's coming to the SEC. You've got so many ties to Norman and to the Sooners. Texas is also coming, yes, which will be, yeah, you know, a different too. element in the rivalry. But how pumped were you or, or what other emotions did you have when you saw that OU was coming into the conference? Oh, yeah, I was I'm so excited. I had a gift or a picture that we made the welcome to the SEC at the maroon and white uh, graphic. I sent it to Coach Gasso to JT. I don't think they thought it was as funny as I did, but <laughs> I'm excited about it. You know, she's obviously who's taught me everything. She's still one I can call to this day um, for help, for support. She was honestly a big part of our turnaround in the spring. She, she called me and said, why haven't you called me yet? And, you know, just someone that I still really rely on. And I'm excited to you know, get the opportunity to play against her some more. And I told her right now we've played her every year that I've been the head coach. We just keep playing them. And I told her, we're going to keep playing until we beat you. Like that is absolutely the goal. Um, and now we're going to get more of those opportunities. And really, I think another thing, just as an alumni, what I'm excited about is the opportunity to, to go to Norman, to see this new stadium that they're going to get to build and what she's really built there. Um, just, you know, proud of, everything that she's done and that she represents and looking forward to be able to go back and see that come to fruition. Because I remember on my visit as a freshman in 2005, seeing blueprints for a stadium renovation, you know, it's been 
that long that it's been talked about. And obviously it's grown from there instead of just the renovation. Now it's going to be a huge, beautiful new ballpark. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm excited for it as an alumni, as a, you know, looking up to my mentor and also as a competitor and just a lot of good opportunities. Um, and we put open up with them this year in California and we're going to play them out there. And the plan was she was trying to get me into that tournament with her that we could get a return trip out of her eventually in the future. I'm like, well, now you have to come back. It doesn't matter, <laughs> but we're excited. You know, we have a lot of ties even within our team. Uh, you know, I have a lot of Samoan girls on my team and so does she. So a lot of girls who know each other, cousins, friends who've grown up playing against each other with each other as well. So I know uh, our team's excited for that addition too. Something else, coach, uh, you know, you took a job and then all of a sudden, bam, we're hit with COVID. Uh, we have, you know, we have the season shut down in 2020, 2021, kind of back to normal. But as you already talked about, there were a lot of restriction, restrictions, especially early on. Um, how has that changed the way that you or has it changed the way that you approach coaching your team and, and just dealing with your with your team? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it was a great thing for myself. Um just from a, especially a young head coach, that experience, you know, 2020, before we were shut down, we were having so much success and just everything was working and it was just going well. And, you know, it was devastating to be shut down when we were, but we really felt like we were in a good place. And 2021 was very humbling. And I think a lot of lessons that maybe we didn't learn the year before. So for me, it was just a great chance to continue to to grow and to listen and to try and improve. And Hey, just because something worked the year before, it doesn't mean it's going to work for this group. And you continuing to focus on what matters and that's the girls and their development and their relationships. And are we setting them up to be successful when they leave here? And, um, you know, it was a challenge, especially that stretch of the start of sec, but I'm so proud of the way they came together and finished, um, and really bought in and never quit. And that's something that we're continuing to build off of and, you know, just trying to play with the chip on our shoulders that even people are counting us out. Like, no, like we've shown that we're a good enough team to do this. And we just want to be able to keep, keep that up and continue to fight and, and claw and put Mississippi State softball on the map. Another big story in the offseason, rules changes, lots of change in college softball. You saw replay announced finally, right? I mean, we've been asking finally. for it for years. You've got a, a fix of the out of the box rule, an extra day at the World Series. Also, I'm just going to call it now. As we record today, earlier it was announced that regular season gymnastics will be on ABC. There's going to be regular season softball on ABC this year. It's just a prediction, but I'm pretty sure it's going to happen this season. Yep. All that's gone on in the past 12 months with rules changes and changes to the game, what excites you most about that? I think my the most exciting thing is just that now it's all about the welfare of the student-athlete, you know outside of the smaller, you know, they're out of the box and everything, but the extra day at the world series playing games on ABC, you know, it's about putting the female athletes in the prime time and up front in front of everyone, just like the male athletes and how that's been done for years. So it's fun to see voices being heard. And, you know, I think coach Gasso was a big part of speaking up about that after the world series and just the discrepancies. And now, you know, whether it's coming from women's basketball or softball or any of the female sports, but, the voices that are now being heard and the changes that are being made because there is a fan base and a following. And when you have the viewership for the women's college world series, the way we do, you know, people are going to listen. And that's, what's exciting is that we're, you know, we're doing this to better the game, but we're doing this really to stand up for the female athletes. And it's fun to see that take off. And obviously there's still a lot ways 
a lot of long ways to go in, in various aspects of that. But I think the start and the fact that voices are listening and making those adjustments is where we need to be and where we need to keep fighting with that momentum that we've gotten. Um, and everything after that, you know, the replay is also kind of one of those. When you look around other sports, other, you know, baseball's had it. And, you know, why can't we have that same opportunity as well? So we're excited to use it um, in the regular season. I think it'll be in postseason very quickly. Um, but I know we've all been looking forward to that one for a while. Well, now we got all that out of the way. It's time to get to the really important things. And the important thing is, is we do a segment on the podcast every week called Tom's Hungry. And it's where we review places that we've been when we've been out on the road. Uh, Sartville <laughs> has a lot of great places. We need your recommendation next time we're in, in Sart Vegas. Where, where do we need to go? Well, you should have been here yesterday. We had a big Thanksgiving feast in the softball indoor. Oh, <laughs> you missed Dang it. it. <laughs> we put on a Thanksgiving lunch for um, members of the athletic department. Really, the girls all cook a dish. They have to sign up and homemade. They cannot buy like frozen rolls or anything like that. They have to make oh, wow. something from scratch, bring it in. And we invite everybody that plays a part in setting the program up for success. So, you know, the people in the business office, compliance facilities that they might not see on a day to day basis they get a chance to see them and thank them. And that was probably one of the best meals we've had in Starkville. They okay. really did a good job yesterday. Yeah, I've got to ask, who had a standout dish? Was there anyone in particular that really shined? Oh, there were two um, that I've had recipe requests. They've asked for Briley St. Cl Clair, her corn casserole dish. I've had a couple people text about that one. And then Madison Kennedy made a honey roasted Brussels sprouts that people were asking her for the recipe for the Brussels sprouts. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that was just the recent one. Our girls, they're getting pretty good. I mean, in Starkville, you really can't go wrong with any of the, um, you know, any of the local restaurants, as long as you're staying away from the chains, but you know, we're big fans of, of Stromboli's, of Little Dewey, Moe's Barbecue, Starkville Cafe, obviously. Um, Two Brothers, that's one, I think it's getting a little bit bigger. That's probably a big one we'd recommend too. Nice. Well, that's little Dewey's is one that we obviously we got to hit every time we come. Got to get mm -hmm. that's the barbecue sandwich with the coleslaw on it. Just yeah, great stuff. Yes, they're a staple <laughs> in Starkville for sure. <laughs> Adding all of that to the docket, and next time we uh, we see Alabama go to Starkville, <laughs> we might need to have some of your players make some food. If that's yeah, okay. that might be the way to go. And I mean, Alabama doesn't have to, I, we're only an hour and a half away. We can get there if we need yeah, to. It's, it's not, not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Mississippi State Head Coach Samantha Ricketts joining us here on Softball Media Days. Coach, you're a delight as always. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, guys. So that was Coach Ricketts, just gleeful. You saw the smile when we mentioned realignment. I mean, oh, yeah. just she said, oh, yeah, let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> and they open with Oklahoma this year in the non-con. Really more excited than anybody else, yes. I think, <laughs> for, for that for Oklahoma to come in. But yeah, it then obviously has the connection there with the Sooner program. And uh, interesting to, to hear how, you know, obviously he was her, her coach, but how, how much uh, Patty Gasso has influenced her even now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're still, you know, talking on the rag, right. as the kids say. Yes. It was interesting to hear. Coach Ricketts wax poetic about Matalasi Fapito. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If not, we'll get it corrected by the end of the year. But, right. you know, coming in, she she could be part of the Fa 
replacement. Bottom line, though, the most important part of the interview, it sure sounds like she's got a team that can crank out some dishes. So I am very excited about going to Starkville at some point just to see uh, if if the softball team will make us some corn casserole and yes. whatnot. I'm not sure I'm down for the Brussels sprouts, but no, you know, I, I'll try anything. Sure. That's what I'm saying. We, we could do – doesn't even have to be a game there. We could just go over to yeah. Starkville, get, go to the potluck, hit Little Dewey's, See our good friend Sydney Little John Watkins. Yeah. Get get some dessert. It's gonna be it's gonna be a full deal. We'll return it. Can you cook? No. Oh, then never mind. We will, <laughs> we'll pay you for your. Dude. We can do that now. So we'll pay you for your services. Right. We'll go. I mean, we'll go buy something from the public. So yes. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> That's what I do whenever there's like a at the office having like a, a Thanksgiving. I always I always bring the the vegetable tray. Nice. <laughs> yeah. This. I can cook a mean breakfast. I'm not sure how helpful that will be if. We're not going at breakfast. Just start start the oven on time. You're good. <laughs> wow. Somewhere, Somewhere Nathan Sheehan is laughing. <laughs> uh, can y'all tell we're been working together uh, yes. for five years? <laughs> oh Lord, clanga clanga. We'll see you yes. soon, Samantha Ricketts. <laughs> okay, we've got one more coach to talk to. Coming up on the other side, Joe Evans from a luxurious i actually don't know it i don't know where she was but it sure looked good out in california a beautiful porch right there on the uh, on the on the water so she was having a good time and we had a great time talking to her yeah that's next texas a&m head coach joe evans and we get back welcome back we're glad you've returned it's time to talk about the youthful aggies led by fgcl perennial player of the week selection Haley Lee. Also, congrats to Haley Lee. And we should have mentioned this earlier, along with Montana Fouts, Bailey Hemphill, a lot of people. But Haley Lee, a part of that team, selected to go be in the tryouts for Team USA. And I was really excited to see Haley's name on that list because of something we'll talk about with Coach Evans. As great as she was because of the catching talent in the SEC last year, she was almost unheralded and pretty underrated, even though she did get an All-American spot. Right. Yeah. So and that's something, yeah, we are going to talk to her about how the selections and, and how those slots might get changed moving forward. But um, yeah, I, I was really excited when I saw the list of 45 that were put out uh, for you know, the, the invite to come and be a part of Team USA's tryouts because um, there's so much college talent on it. Uh, of team people that weren't on that haven't been on the team before getting their first shot at it and you're seeing a little bit of a shift in what maybe some what is some of the criteria on getting onto that team and we're seeing a, a more of an emphasis on people that can hit for power yeah is the reason why team usa did not win the gold yeah we that look you ask anybody in softball and i went on some lives at d1 softball everybody had issues with the roster selection last year Heather Tarr being announced the head coach, maybe not the most surprising selection. She's been an assistant and on the U19 coaching staff and the head coach there for years. But it's clear she's trying something new with the selections that were chosen because there were not nearly that many collegiate players when they lasted tryouts. And that is, to me, what's important that Heather Tarr is saying, you know what, what we tried last year didn't really work. Right. We're going to try it again. Also worth pointing out, Team USA's next big event would be the World Games in 2022 in Birmingham, Alabama. Yes. So you're going to be able to see literally the, the best softball in the world being played right here in the state of Alabama in Birmingham. And uh, hopefully we're going to see some Alabama people and, yeah. and some SEC people on free, the roster. Free tip to Coach Tar: If you want people to show up, just put Montana Fouts on the team. Even if she doesn't pitch, because there are some good pitchers on that tryouts list. Hmm. 
still people will just show up just to right. be in her presence. So Montana and Haley McClinney yeah. and Bailey Hempel on the same team. Oh, oh, oh man. Sold out. Done. Give like, us a job at world games. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Shall we uh, get to Joe Evans? We actually spent most of that time Sorry. talking about yes. Alabama, but, but because you know, Haley Lee, as you mentioned, is, is yeah. on that list. And again, that just shows that, you know, you're looking at somebody that has played college. They're still in the, you know, in that routine and in that schedule of playing college and then having the, the power that somebody like Haley Lee has be able to put her in, she can play multiple positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the question for Texas A&M is how your other eight look. Yeah. Can, can the youth grow up? Are you ready? Because the Aggies have an interesting schedule that we'll dig into mm-hmm. in a little bit. For now, let's get to the head coach of Texas A&M, Joe Evans. She's finishing us off coaching-wise here in Softball Media Days. The head coach of the Fighting Texas Aggies, Joe Evans, right now. We roll on with Softball Media Days and head to College Station here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury chatting with the head coach of the Texas A&M Aggies, Joe Evans, entering her 26th year in College Station. Now, listeners, you cannot see Coach Evans. We can here on the Zoom. She has quite the backdrop uh, out in California right now chatting with us. Coach, how are you? I'm good. I'm being a total show off right now. If I if I slant this a little bit, you're going to see some water in the background. Oh, so nice. It's not quite College Station, but close. <laughs> I was going to say those trees don't look familiar from what we've seen. <laughs> Coach, it's great to see you again. Great to chat with you. And, and we're really excited to preview what your team will look like in 2022. But first, let's look back a little bit. Uh, your young team, last year you talked a lot about the youth on your squad. You know, at the end of the year, there were a lot of tight games that they just couldn't quite finish off. What lessons did your young players learn from those kinds of games that they can take going forward? Yeah, you're right. I mean, we got off to a good start and we we were really got pretty hot right in the beginning and then really tapered off and hit some tough teams and didn't didn't compete through the end. You're right. We had um, a couple games with Florida where where we're ahead in the bottom of the seventh and end up getting walked off. And so, yeah, those are just really opportunities to learn and, and understand what it means to compete. And, um, you know, just to understand that like, you've got to play till the very last pitch is thrown. And our young players, our inexperience really showed down the stretch. And it was disappointing. You know, we position ourselves to win games. And then when you don't finish it, it it's tough. In Tuscaloosa, Gray and I were both really impressed by Mackenzie Herzog and what she did, even in a loss against Tennessee in the SEC tournament. Um, how important is she to you both in the circle and at the plate? And then what has she done here in this offseason to improve in both areas? Yeah, she's a phenomenal athlete. Uh, anybody that can get out there and pitch like she does, hit like she does, she steals bases for us. Um, she's just an all-around athlete, great player. I think um, I think she's a kid that's going to be an All-American. I think she was just shy of that this past year. Um, Pitching-wise, she can shore up some things in terms of just commanding uh, the strike zone. But she's someone we certainly count on. I think she's um, a, a kid that just gets better every year. She also has a whole staff now. We've added another pitcher to our staff, which – 
gives her the opportunity to not have to carry all the load and um, the, the kid can swing it. I mean, it's really fun to watch hit. Uh, she had Roger's number, which people rarely do uh, Tennessee's ace. And what she did in that game was really impressive. What we needed to do was surround her with some base runners when she's up there hitting the ball like that. But yeah, she's a presence and she'll be someone we really count on. And she came to you as a transfer from Florida state and uh, kind of brings us to one of the questions we've asked pretty much everybody. Um, the transfer portal has really kind of exploded here the last few years and has become something that every coach has had to deal with. Uh, how has the transfer portal impacted the way that you recruit and manage your team? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's a little bit tricky because I really believe in developing young players. I believe in starting freshmen and throwing them out there in the deep end and letting them get their, their feet wet and, um, and, and it makes it a little tricky, uh, you know, because now we're competing against teams that just keep getting transfers in and, and everybody seems to be experienced, you know, everybody seems to be a veteran ball club. So that changes the philosophy a bit. So, you know, um, we've lost some kids in the portal and, and we've gained some kids in the portal and it, it is, um, it, it's just something that we have to deal with and it's, it's not changing. It's not going to change anytime soon. And so we have to figure out ways to use that to our advantage while all the, so all the while still keeping our integrity about how we want to run a, a program. I mean, we really believe in culture and it's hard if you've got kids rolling in and out of the program only there a year or so um, to really understand the culture culture. But anybody that knows anything about A&M knows we're, uh, you know, really strong in our traditions and our core values and, and people leave here with that firmly in place and in their character. So, um, you know, that's put a little wrinkle in things too. All right, Coach Evans. Now we get to talk about my friend Haley Lee. Last year, <laughs> you, you raved about her. I raved about her from the summer. I thought she was going to have a good year. I did yeah. not expect 422, 25 home runs, 51 RBIs, just a phenomenal a phenomenal season for her last year. And if it weren't for position politics, uh, she should have been first team all SEC, but that's a whole other topic. What yeah. did she do to get to that level this past year and how can she keep on going forward? Yeah, first of all, I, I'm so excited for her. It was so fun to be a part of it. So fun to watch her. Uh, she's just gotten so much more mature. You know, as a freshman, she couldn't handle her failures at all. She was mad. I mean, if it was the first at bat and didn't go well, forget about it. The kid was furious. And now she just understands the game so much better and, and understands the ebb and flow of what's going to happen within at bats. But what she did so well last year was really uh, work closely with Coach Snyder, our hitting coach, and talk plans, understand what a pitcher's going to throw, what she's capable of hitting. You watch too, and she hits home runs to all fields, you know, all parts of the ballpark which a lot of kids don't do you know you've got one spot your pull hitter you're gonna hit everything that way and she actually um can pick a pitch to hit and she can hit it where it was pitched and that's next level and and her numbers when you just recite those numbers to me I'm like you gotta be kidding me I mean that's a career year anybody would give anything to have a year like that and you're right for her not to make all SEC was just a travesty, but every coach in the SEC knows that. And that was the way the system set up. 
but we're already talking about how to tweak that system so that another Haley Lee uh, doesn't happen because we had great catchers in the conference last year and, and um, it, it was a shame, but, you know, Haley was an all American and she deserved it and earned it. And what she's doing now is just um, imparting that knowledge and experience and um, confidence onto her teammates. So that's, that's when, you know, you really as a hitting culture, um, that, that you've sort of arrived in, okay, now we know how these upperclassmen can pass this down to the younger players and use that experience to their advantage. And she's been great. And I, I she's having a ball. We're loving her being back and just um, she's learned to just be really loose. It, Haley's a free spirit. I mean, I don't know if people oh, know yeah. <laughs> this can assume it. on any given day, her hair will be purple um, she's got the tattoos. She drives a Harley. I mean, this kid is a good time and she's learned to be loose, but also disciplined enough to get the results she wants to get. I'm really glad that you brought up the change that is hopefully coming to that because I mean, we could use a utility spot or, or an extra utility spot on these all SEC teams because I mean, yes, last year was unusually stacked statistically at the catcher position because Bailey and Kayla Kowalik were so good, but yeah. it just seems wrong to ignore awards-wise from the conference what Haley Lee was able to do. Yeah, no question about it. The really cool thing about our conference and the coaches uh, is that they, they, they saw that. In fact, when we got on our call to discuss it, I didn't have to say a word. Another coach brought it up, brought up Haley Lee, Hey, this isn't working. Um, it's it's not okay that that Haley Lee wasn't all SEC. It's not the first time that's happened with a great player, but it ought to be the last time. We ought to be able to get that right. You know, I also you know just want to note uh, along those lines is, you know, I think people maybe on the outside looking in at our SEC coaches, everybody's so competitive. Thirteen programs, you just you know at each other's throat when you're on the ball field. But when we get on our calls and we sit in a room as a group, it's so it's cordial, it's professional. Um, there's not one coach who isn't on board for what's best for the conference. And I've been in other conferences and it doesn't always work that way. So to see these people who are at the height of our profession and taking a step back and saying, hey, A&M's player deserve to be all conference. Let's fix this. It, it just says a lot about the caliber of people and professionalism in our conference. Well, now getting a chance as we have last year and this year as well, talking with everybody, that doesn't surprise me at all that, yeah. that these coaches are that way. I, that's, I think you're exactly right. Great. Best coaches in the, in the country and the best uh, conference in the country. It certainly makes sense uh, for that to be the case. Uh, as far as your team, you got a lot of returning players offensively around Haley Lee uh, who has jumped out uh, for you in, in fall ball and, and who are you looking for to make a another big jump in 2022 yeah of course Mackenzie Herzog um, Haley Lee Shay Ackerman Shay Ackerman made some big strides for us last year uh, Morgan Smith is another kid really consistent um, she's a kid that steps up in the clutch I don't know how many pinch hit opportunities we gave her when she wasn't actually in the lineup and I've never seen a kid handle 
that situation the way she did really gave us great production. Um, Coco Woolley is a freshman that's come in for us and had a really great fall. Been pleased to see what she's done. And um, she adds some, a speed element to our lineup that we could really use. Uh, Ryland Wiggins is another one who's had a really good off season. Uh, she was our shortstop last year as a freshman, now able to hit for power. And um, so there's, uh, we're going to be a lot deeper in our lineup. You know, last year we kind of got, pigeonholed to first four or five hitters and then we struggled six through nine and to me that was the difference in us not being able to finish ball games you know Haley Lee's not going to come up every inning so we got to make sure we can take care of business uh, down there at the bottom of the order and I've been pleased to see how our kids have responded um, Trinity Cannon's another one freshman last year split time at third base and um, this fall she's just starting to hit for power like we expected and um, this stepping in. And another freshman who had a really great fall was uh, Caden Baker out of Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, she came in and she's actually a middle infielder. And we, we got thin in the outfield and said, Hey, Caden, how about, how about going out there and playing? And we hadn't even practiced her before we started in the outfield before we started playing games. And, boy, she really took to it and did a nice job and offensively as well. So yeah, it's fun to have the, the depth that we have. We only have 18 players, which is such a small roster compared to last year's 25, but everybody's athletic. Everybody can play. Everybody can get in there and help us out. Another freshman is Katie Dack, kid out of Colorado who, you know, she had a bunch of home runs and people go, well, she's, it's the thin air, you know, no, she's come to College Station. She's sitting balls over the video board. So she's um, she's kind of been an all or nothing kid a little bit for us this fall. So she might swing and miss a few times. And then when she runs into it, look out. So it's been really fun to see those young players step in and have success early. Texan and head coach Joe Evans joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. Coach, let's move back to the circle. We already talked about Mackenzie Herzog, but Kayla Pointer, Grace Arebe, they're both back. I think Grace Arebe in particular showed some real flashes last year of what she could be going forward through the rest of her career. But bottom line, you've got your top three innings pitched pitchers back from last year. How helpful is that for you with that pitching depth that you already mentioned earlier? Yeah, really helpful. I mean, that experience, you just, you, there, nothing can replace being out there pitching against Florida and Alabama and, and all those teams. So, um, yeah, that experience and Grace, I love her competitive nature, her drive. She just gets better and better offensively. She's gotten better too. So that's another uh, lefty bat in the lineup for us. And um, we bring in a freshman, Emily Kennedy, who's a six foot two left-hander throws ball hard um, just to have that look from, from the Southpaw is really big. So I'm excited because, and, and Shay Ackerman is another one who's, she had an injury. She had Tommy Johns in high school and uh, she's finally coming back and being able to give us some innings on the mound. So those five pitchers, all athletic, get after it. The thing I love most about the staff is everybody's so different. And, you know, you don't want three pitchers who all throw the same and some teams hitting that one and you're like, oh, oh we're in trouble. And, uh, you know, these kids, they all they all look different. Um, Delivery is not exactly the same. And it's going to be fun to, to 
pitch as a, as a staff to not expect anybody to have to go seven innings and, and break that down. Our big question will be who complements who, you know, who, what is the best rotation for us? Who's the best starter, closer, middle reliever. Um, that'll be, you know, something we'll continue to learn as we go along. Gosh, now we'll get to a couple of the questions that we've asked uh, pretty much everybody and really excited to, to get your thoughts on them. First of all, there was some uh, big news in the offseason this season on a couple of new teams coming to the SEC here in, in a year or two, and uh, certainly a, a, a very unique situation for you as your main rival is going to come into the conference. So that's going to be really big as Texas comes in as well as Oklahoma. Just your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, we're used to playing them back in the day in the Big 12. We always had great rivalries with both those teams. We unfortunately get sent to Oklahoma all the time for postseason. So we certainly know what it's like to play up there, have respect for what Patty Gasol has done and how she runs her program. And uh, Texas, we are definitely rivals. You know, we, um, we always look forward to that rivalry and it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out, but here we go. We just got that much stronger adding those two teams. Coach, I think it's such a funny situation considering that you played them every year and then you left to the SEC and, you know, you would see them sometimes in the tournament or maybe something in the non-con and now coming right back. I mean, yeah. what it's going to make things really fun, I think, because now Davis Diamond will get to see at some point down the road a real tried and true full series between Texas A&M and Texas. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and it'll be hopping for sure. Both both stadiums will be full and it'll be a whole lot of fun. But yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> you know, we already have 13 teams who are going postseason. We add two more who are going postseason. So I don't know, maybe we'll be the first conference with 15 teams in postseason. Wow. I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised unless the committee says, okay, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> Too much. If, if nothing else, it means that you guys won't get sit in Oklahoma anymore because they won't, they won't send a co in conference. That's right. That's right. Uh, also, Coach, something else we've all dealt with is the, the pandemic that's been going on for the last 18 months or so. And we all know what happened in 2020. 2021 kind of back to normal, but there were still uh, restrictions there. Uh, just your thoughts on how has that changed the way that you coach or manage your team, um, the everything we've been through in the past couple of years? Yeah, I, I mean, it's been tough for the kids. I think for coaches, it's we, we've been fine. I mean, we can deal with these things, but for our players, it's been really challenging for them. And, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I can see them coming out of high school, maybe a little less prepared in terms of their emotional maturity, their ability to cope and be flexible. And um, I, I see collectively and, and talking to my peers, kids who are seem a lot more anxious. Um, uh, it, it's, it's, I feel sad for them, you know, that they've gone through this and now they're trying to simulate to a regular routine and, and, and it's tough on them. I was talking to our, uh, our director of our student counseling center. And she said across the board, they're seeing more mental health challenges for our students and um, just their ability to, to cope with the challenges has been tough. So they kind of lost a year or two of, of emotional and social development. 
And so now maybe we're getting a kid who's really emotionally and socially uh, a, a junior in high school. That's a whole lot different than a freshman in college. So I feel for these kids and we're doing everything we can to help them adjust. Well, coach, some more changes from the off season that were really, really good changes. Some rules have been adjusted in the sport. We've got the extra day at the World Series, which across the board was universally hailed after the Florida State catastrophe this past year. We've got a change to the out-of-the-box rule, which we on the out-of-the-box podcast do appreciate. Replay is now coming to the regular season in the SEC and much more across the country. What really fired you up about some of the changes that were made? What really excited you? Well, the the decision with the World Series for me is like it's about time. You know, what are we doing? I mean, we play at such a high level and then you're going to make a team play on a couple hours sleep and uh, it doesn't make sense. So I'm really happy that they took care of that. I really like the out of box change because, I mean, really in one rule, we just eliminated every slapper except a, a few. You know, we took the bat out of their hands. We uh, rendered them sort of, you know, not reliable. Uh, and, and also we're asking umpires to make a call that they really didn't want to make. And so now I think umpires are a little more comfortable making that call. And I like that because it would drive me crazy that we had the rule, but then we didn't apply it. Um, and then when they did, it just, it was a game changer. It, it just really killed momentum. So I'm excited that they changed that. And, and our lefty slappers now can be more aggressive and do what they're great at doing. So I, I think it's really good for the game. And another change was NIL coming to uh, college sports and uh, just your thoughts on that and, and how has uh, your team and Texas A&M uh, address that? Well, it's a great opportunity for student athletes. And I know a lot of them are taking advantage of that. And uh, I love that we have a system in place. So when this all went down, instead of our department and our administration saying, oh boy, now what are we going to do? We're going to lose money that boosters are going to give to athletes and not to our department. They said, how can we uh, help this? How can this work in recruiting? How can we make a better situation for student athletes? How can we help them navigate this? Because I, I mean, here we are talking about the emotional maturity or immaturity. Then we throw in the NIL and go, okay, figure it out. You guys go make some money and then figure out how to pay your taxes and manage it and, and pay an agent, all these things. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm just, happy to be a part of a, a conference and a university that says, no, we need to take care of these kids. So it's, I think it's a great opportunity and, and I hope it continues to grow for them. Well, all right. Now we got all that out of the way now to the really important things. And, and on this podcast, every, every week we do a segment called Tom's hungry, where we uh, discuss everywhere that we've eaten when we've been out on the road. Uh, one of our past winners was in college station and it was the great Good Bull Barbecue that unfortunately closed its doors uh, this, you know, just recently. And we were all, all just very, it's a very tough day. Tough um, day. That is not Good Bull. No, uh, no. Uh, the <laughs> potato salad was so, oh my gosh. So, um, so Good Bull no longer on the docket for us. We need, we need some recommendations. Next time we're in College Station, where do we need to go? Well, 
um, Cooper's, I don't know if you guys have been out to Cooper's barbecue, but that's a really good one. So you ought to try that. Um, C and J barbecue is a popular one. Cody's that's one people like, and, um, I guess barbecue wise, those are the ones, but, uh, Cooper's I, I people seem to really like that one. And then I know everything else is a taco place and, and which I'm not upset about. I love tacos. Uh, what about tacos in the college station? Uh, Velvet Taco is new. It's right there um, in that new Century Square that they built a couple of years ago, right by campus. So go to Velvet Taco. Really good. Um, I love Mad Taco. That's good too. And, you know, any, you really can't go wrong with tacos in College Station. Oh, uh, man. I, I'm excited. I, I, between how awesome your facility is and then all the food, I'd be okay if, if the SEC tournament was in College Station every year. Because, oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because when I first came to College Station, it came forever ago, but um, I thought, oh, I'm going to be eating at, you know, the Deluxe Diner every day or something. But no, it's there's really good restaurants in College Station and not all chains. So it's fun. Yeah, people sleep on it, but we're excited because Alabama will be coming to College Station this year. So we will be there to indulge in all of the fine dining that we can. That's perfect. That sounds great. <laughs> Texas A&M head coach Joe Evans joining us here on Softball Media Days. Coach, enjoy your trip out to California. It was always good, uh, or good as always, I should say, to see you and talk with you. Uh, great to see you guys. Thanks for all you do. Appreciate it. Thank you, Coach. See you soon. Thanks, Coach. Right. Take care. So there is the head coach of the Giggums, the Aggies, Joe Evans for Texas A&M. So I loved what she said. There's a reason we picked her to, to shut everything down. I think that, again, for the second straight year, you heard her mention that she thinks Mackenzie Herzog can be an All-American. If she is, this is an A&M team that will challenge somebody hardcore come conference play. And again, another, another team that's got the potential to be a spoiler. Here are the four home series, Florida, LSU, Alabama, Arkansas. I don't want to speak out of turn, but that's probably going to be four of your top five. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, that's a chance for A&M to really ruin some races for some of those teams as they gun for a conference title. And you get some wins there. And one of the things that we talked about with, with Coach Evans was, you know, they seem to always get sent to Oklahoma for regionals. Texas A&M needs to be in the position where they're yeah. hosting regionals that it shouldn't matter. You know, great. If, if Oklahoma comes into the, the league and you're not going to be sent there anymore, Texas A&M shouldn't be sent anywhere. They should be hosting those regionals and, and Alabama or A&M needs to get in that position. They may have the roster to do it at this point. Uh, but you know, they, they got to get those wins, especially your ho your hosting teams of that caliber. They got to get some serious victories in there. A couple other things that stuck out to me. One, First coach that we've talked to who I've ever heard say, yeah, I just throw the freshman out there. They got to learn. I mean, it's like you said, I believe in episode one, it's trial by fire. And yeah. that uh, that has been something that has worked a lot in Joe Evans' career. I think for her sake, it needs to work rather quickly at A&M because as you said, Davis Diamond, too pretty to not be hosting regionals. <laughs> right. But you know, I, I, it's worked. So I have no reason to believe it won't work eventually here with this team. Yeah, the, you have to get to that point where, yes, th throwing out the, the freshmen and, and having them go through that, it's got to get to that point where it pays off in their sophomore and junior years. 
is this roster set up to do that? I think so, but they're just going to have to get the more consistent play from people outside of Herzog and Lee. Yes, and finally, really quickly, a memorial service for our friends at Good Bull. Mm. Just tough, tough. We miss you. We will think of the Pig Mac no. when we fly into College Station, or I'm driving, actually. I don't know if I've told you that, but... right. Either way, it's tough. And so we do appreciate Joe Evans for giving us alternatives. We already know a couple other places we're going to go to, like, you know, Fuego's, and obviously we're going to go to... Torchies, the original uh, yeah, Torchies. obviously right. we're going to go to Torchies. But we've got five new spots to check out, tacos, barbecue. So that's... We thank you, Coach Evans. Right. You know, you can't grieve forever, and you're going to go to Velvet Taco, and, and we're going to, uh, you know, you, you got to move on. What a fun name. Yes. Velvet Taco. That's, <laughs> you see, the name is like 20% of the battle. Absolutely. You have to draw us in. Yes. And then, you know. And, and the way to do that is food. Yes. And, and <laughs> food and a cool name, and we're there. Uh, we're so easy to please. <laughs> Speaking of easy to please, look, we know that there are critics out there, that there are people who have questions about Alabama softball after so many important people graduated. But there are a lot of new faces in the program that have bright futures. And we're going to talk about all that for the fall ball special when we get back. Let's go. Yeah. Thank you again to coach Evans. Now it's time to get back to the Bama of it all. When we get back the fall ball special stats, mailbag are way too early top fives and many other things here on the out of the box podcast. go it's time to actually talk tangible softball that we have seen in person tom are you ready actual games played they don't overall count but they were actual yes they were uniforms sometimes they had numbers sometimes they didn't but we saw them and it was a lot of fun yes it's the fall ball special talking about fall ball overall fall ball at alabama answering some questions giving our top fives buckle up folks here we go first off tom i wanted to open with a broad discussion and that's to kind of go deeper into what we mentioned earlier and have in previous episodes some of the coaches it sounds like they want to be done with fall ball and not play teams anymore in the fall and you know I see the the merit of both I think in certain situations if you've got a really young team I think it would be helpful to play those games so they have a little bit of game experience that was something Tony Baldwin touched on but also if you kind of know what you got like Larissa Anderson then I understand why you would want to maybe play more scrimmage-based fall seasons. It's an interesting discussion and strategy because everyone's in a different spot as far as their thought process on it. I can see why you, you want to be able, if you have a bigger roster and a younger roster, you want to be able to you know, see everybody and, and be able to more control the uh, scenarios that come up which you're not always necessarily able to do if you're playing another team. Hmm. But at the same time, uh, what do we always talk about that players are so ready to watch, see somebody else in the other dugout, you know, not play, you know, play a different colored Jersey. Uh, so it, it's a tough situation. I could see maybe going to reducing the number of games against opponents, which is where maybe you, you do the scrimmages and then have one weekend where you play somebody else and maybe, Maybe do more like, a, you know, Kentucky and Tennessee did play, yeah. a, you know, find somebody that you're not going to play during the regular season and then schedule a fall series with them uh, within the conference or, or, you know, two big name teams playing each other. You could maybe do that. Um, and we've heard them talk about that in football, doing that as well. And, you know, get, get away from the A-Day type games and actually playing a different team. And that might be the, the, the ultimate uh, answer to the question. 
but it, that is one of the kind of the offshoots of what happened with COVID last year is that they got a, everyone kind of got a taste of what it would be if you didn't play fall ball. And some coaches actually really liked it. Apparently. Again, I, I see the point of both. I feel like if you know what your team is, then you can work to, you don't need to play the games if you've got a bunch of returners because you can use that time to develop the younger pieces behind them. Again, though, it, I think it's dealer's choice. And maybe that's something next year that we ask all the coaches and see how they've adjusted their fall ball schedule. You know, we can skip coach Anderson and coach Baldwin, but right. everybody else, you know, that was not something we really discussed. And maybe that is something we add to the docket next year, assuming that we do this for a third straight season and that no one has blocked our contacts. <laughs> I hope not. I certainly hope not. We love all of you. From an Alabama perspective, Tom, just, you know, I've got the stats from just Tuscaloosa. Sorry, folks, I didn't go to Lipscomb. I do have other things to do. <laughs> right. But, Tom, you were there for, I believe, three of the four games. You missed one because you had basketball duties. But mm. overall thoughts before I read some of the important stats. Um, I think overall there were a couple of players that really jumped off the page as you were not expecting to see. Uh, I thought I Who was, in particular? Abby Dora, I think, yeah. was number one on that list not just the numbers she put up, but just watching her. Uh, it's like a totally different player. At the I'll, I'll read the stats now. Five for 12. That's a 417 average. Two RBIs, two doubles, three walks, mm. which, whoa, and one right. strikeout from Abby Dorr. She did look better. Her swing right. looked better. She had a better eye. It was impressive. Yeah, so you can definitely tell that she has made adjustments and is looking to make that big jump. Uh, we've seen players do that in the past at Alabama that, you know, they, they kind of are the – a bench player for a year or two, maybe not putting up the numbers they want. And then all of a sudden that they hit it, they hit that switch. And they are uh, now, as we talked with coach Murphy, you're trying to figure out, all right, we got all these lineups. We got to have Abby door in the lineup. Yeah. And that's not something you were thinking you were going to have uh, coming into this year. Yeah. You have a lot of stock in Dallas. Good night. And a six for 12 Tuscaloosa fall is pretty good. Yeah. I, I, think I, I think it's safe to say we both expect her to be the Alabama lead off or, or nine hitter one of those two spots yeah at the beginning of the year I think she's going to become a fan favorite I think she's going to be as much as you can a replacement for Alyssa Brown which uh it's it's hard that's a lot to put on somebody yeah uh, a freshman coming in but I can see her being the center fielder at Alabama for four years mm. who else who else jumped out at you Tom as I look at the stats other names that had good weekends uh, Aubrey Barnhart, five for 12, five RBIs, a triple in there as well. KJ Haney was two for seven with a home run. Ashley Prangy had four RBIs and four of 14 hitting wise. Uh, Lexi Kilfoyle, I, ho I hope that she gets consistent chances to hit. Right. Because Lexi Kilfoyle was four for seven with four RBIs, a homer, two doubles and two walks. When she hits solid contact, what she was doing much more this fall than I've seen her do consistently in the past it goes a long way. And I should note for the most part, not playing rinky dinks this no. fall. I mean, you're not playing community college. Memphis was here. Louisiana Monroe was here. Those are teams that, you know, of that caliber that you'll see in the regular season. And Lexi Kilfoyle looked right at home at the plate. She did. Uh, another person I was really happy to see because uh, we really hadn't seen her before was in the circle was Alex Salter. Yes. I thought she pitched really well when, when she had the opportunity, 13 innings, uh, two earned runs, only two walks, 17 strikeouts because you're going to need at least one, if not two, pitchers outside of Kilfoyle and Fouts, if nothing else, to take care of those midweek games. So yeah. that's We talked about with, with uh, Karen Weekly about Tennessee, uh, the fact that they had to pitch Ashley Rogers in the midweek 
really hurt her as the season goes on. You don't want to have to pitch Montana Fouts or Lexi Kilfoyle in those midweek games if you can all help it. Uh, and I thought we saw some really good stuff from both Salter and Jayla Torrance that, that I think Alabama's going to be fine as far as that goes, not just depth-wise, but what you can be able to do in the midweeks. Also, how about the strikeout numbers for your aces? Kilfoyle, 14 innings, 19 strikeouts. Fouts, eight innings, 17 Ks. Tom, I'm not sure if this will be my lamb on our gold mine, but I think there is a really good chance Lexi Kilfoyle can be the one that wins SEC Pitcher of the Year this year. And I'll state my case. I, I, it's not anything against Montana. I got to make that clear. Nothing against Montana. <laughs> I, no, Gray Robertson, anti-Montana. <laughs> that's fouts. not got true. It. Got it down. But I think the teams are going to be so invested in studying up and preparing for Montana that – Lexi's going to catch him by surprise with how good she is when she's fully healthy because she really hasn't had a full conference play where she's been healthy yet. Right. 2020, we didn't have conference play. She pitched well against Arkansas, but that was, you know, one game, two games. And then last year she was injured for a big part of conference play. I think that teams are going to be really blown away by how good she is to the point where Montana might have a lower ERA but Lexi's record might be better because, you know, at some point you're going to lose. A team's going to get Montana at some point. Lexi could have a Sarah Cornell-esque SEC play record, even if the ERA is higher than Montana's. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. As you were talking about that, Sarah Cornell is what came to my mind and what she was able to do in 2019. And she was able to do that because, you know, a lot of times she was pitching on the she was pitching on those Saturdays. So you're going against the other team's number two. And – you know, like you said, people were so amped up even then as a freshman to go out against Montana Fouts that maybe they were overlooking Cornell. Might be the same situation here with Lexi. Yeah. Also, one more thing. I hope the world is ready for Jenna Johnson. It's happening. She's ready. She's good to go. Six for 12 in the fall, a double two walks. I'm very curious where Patrick Murphy puts her, which goes into our mailbag. Fan mail, not fans of us, but fans of softball and specifically <laughs> Alabama. The first question is from Corey. Lineup possibilities. Oh, wow. <laughs> Here we Jeez. go. Let me pull up the notes, Doc. Mm. I've got mm. Tom, just initial thoughts from you as I search the computer right now. Any Anything? <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, as you said, I think Dallas Goodnight has a great opportunity to be the leadoff hitter. The question is, where do you put the, the towel, where you put Kaylee Tao, assuming that uh, Dowling is back healthy 100%. Where do you put her? And just, just there's different ways. How do you fit that puzzle together? Uh, because like what has happened the last few years, Patrick Murphy has so many different options Yeah, uh, and they're all good. So, so it, it's, it's, I don't think you can go wrong. There's going to be a lot of youth, but there's going to be a lot of talent. Like I told coach Murphy, I've got five lineups. You're looking at them now. The, the first one I wrote down, I feel pretty good about the top five in the order. Dallas. Good night one, Jenna Johnson, two, Kaylee Tao, three, Bailey Dowling, four, Allie Shipman, five. It's beyond that. Uh, and, and specifically where these people playing defensively is Dowling ready to play it short. If not, you've got her at second, then maybe Prangy at short. I think Barnhart should be at third if she can be. I mean, she, you know, played some over there in the fall and looked good. Abby Dore at this point has to be your DP with Tao at first. And then right field, you've got a battle between Woodard and Grill and, and both have a case. I've got Woodard in right now in the nine spot. But, I mean, look at this. I've got five lineups. Even, even in the past years, I've had two tops. And right. that, that first lineup, by the way, did not include Lexi Kilfoyle hitting. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you, you have Abby Dore at the DP. But if Lexi Kilfoyle is pitching, 
uh, you'll you'll want her to hit too in those situations. Well, I've she's drawn pitching. You I've be, drawn that up as well. Okay, of course. <laughs> when Lexi hits and pitches, mm-hmm. Dallas Goodnight at the top spot, Jenna Johnson in the two, Kaylee Tao in the three, Dowling in the four, Kilfoyle in the five, Shipman in six. Again, I've got Barnhart right now penciled in in the seven, Abby Dor at eight, and Prangy at nine. And right. and then something that we, <laughs> but again, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's ever happened or hadn't happened much at all since I've been doing the, the play-by-play for Alabama, might have that flex batter that plays in the field and doesn't hit. And I, which, you know, that's just something we haven't seen very often. And that, that is an option for Patrick Murphy as well. There's so many different uh, ways you can go. I think one thing may be the key to a lot of this is, do you feel comfortable with praying you being in the lineup overall? I thought she pitched, I thought she hit really well. And I, I don't have a problem with her. It's just, it was, she when, when she was announced as a transfer coming in, she wasn't one that I dispensed. All right, she's going to be a starter. Yeah. She should get, uh, you know, Shipman came in. All right, she's starting. Yeah. Bam. Prangy wasn't on that level, that, but she, I thought, played really well in the fall. Patrick Murphy seems to be, be very high on her. So if she's a starter, then it does, it, it kind of opens up uh, a lot of more options for him. Yeah, I think that with Prangy, you feel really good about her glove. And I think with so many freshmen, at the positions where Pringy would play, it's important to have that experience club there. Mm-hmm. If she can hit up to the level of her defensive ability, then she'll be a starter all year. If the hitting isn't there, then we might see some movement. And Patrick Murphy said that when we talked to him, that it's going to be a lot of changing in the non-con. And you might see one lineup that is completely different mm-hmm. one game to the next. So we'll see. I, I think that actually Pringy is kind of the wild card here you know, because again, she provides that experience. I think she was maybe the sharpest infielder defensively in the fall. Will the bat be able to hit around 290, 300, 310 in the season? Uh, we'll see. That's one of our questions. Yeah. And that's, and that also kind of shows off where that experience comes in. She's new to Alabama. She's not new to collegiate softball. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of really good talent on this team, but it's really young coming in. Uh, so we'll see. Patrick Murphy has no problem playing a freshman, you know, how much, you're going to put them in uh, when you do have the experience possibility. The next Alabama Sports Hall of Fame softball inductee. Okay, so I want to make a couple things clear here about some of the rules involving who can be inducted and whatnot. There is an age limit. I believe it is 40. I need to double check. I do know you have to be retired, so you cannot be an active player. So, you know, a lot of people were throwing out on Twitter – Haley McClinney should already be in there. Well, she can't be because right she's now she playing. is playing right. professionally and she is the best player in the world. Right. So she'll get in there eventually, yes. but she's got to be done playing. Yeah. She, so her time will come. I think the only eligible player that would make sense right now would be Kelly Kretschmann uh, from Alabama. At least I'd have to do some digging to look at Auburn and other places around the state. I, I, I do feel very certain that Haley McClinney will be there at some point. And let's be real, Montana Fouts, even though she's not from Alabama, she played at Alabama. That works as a qualifier. Montana Fouts will be in the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame at some point. Yeah, I, I definitely think think that'll be the case. I think Jackie Traina, Charlotte Morgan. There, I mean, if you're just going back, you know, the Alabama Softball Hall of Fame for the University of Alabama. Yeah. If you did a Hall of Fame there, you could put them all in, in the Alabama overall one. So that, that there is a lot of names that will get in there eventually. Like I said, I, I think this, you know, Patrick Murphy should be the first one in. Yeah. And then, but it opens up the floodgates for a lot of other ones to get in. Kelly Kreshman should definitely get in uh, when she's eligible, eligible if she's not eligible now. So that's, that, that would be, I think, the next one for me. I will say that the process is difficult uh, to get in. 
I, I don't want to, yeah, I, I don't want to dive into the minutia because I, I have ways, let's just say that. So it, it's difficult to get in. This right. state has been lucky. We've had a lot of people born here and that played in the state who've gone to do a lot of great things athletically in football, baseball, basketball, golf, tennis, the whole shebang. It's hard to get in. I'm not saying a softball player is going to be getting in every year because it took a while to get one person related to softball in there. But I think that you will see more names in the future going into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Again, we have to remember, you know, Alabama softball is like 26 years old. So it itself would not be eligible for the Hall of Fame right now. (laughs) So, you know, a little bit of patience, folks. Yeah. Uh, Again, this this isn't a situation like what we talk about with gender equity, where this it, it all happens at one time. This is one of those things where it becomes a gradual yeah. uh, thing. But a tremendous honor for Coach Murphy. So happy for him. And uh, there's going to be more coming. Yes. All right. Brooke has a question. What Alabama player surprised you most during the fall? I think we both have the same answer. Abby Dore. Right. Next question I really liked. Any sneaky good matchups based on schedules released so far? Obviously, Clearwater is something to watch every year UCLA added to that field. I'm going to look at this from the Alabama perspective. Everybody is going to be talking when the season starts about, oh, Texas is going to Alabama. Oh, Florida State will be there too. I think y'all really need to tune in that Clearwater weekend when Alabama plays Virginia Tech. I assume Sydney and I will be doing TV for those since Clearwater is also going on. They've got all the ESPN crews down there. Mm-hmm. Montana Fouts versus Keeley Rochard is can't miss television. Absolutely. Uh, that, that's going to be huge. I think Alabama's trip to Louisiana to take on the Raging Cajuns in Lafayette is going to be very interesting. And then, I'm unsure if that is watchable, but well, yeah. at Louisiana, probably uh, at the other tournament, sure. unclear. Yeah, you'll just, well, you'll just have to uh, to uh, to listen to us. Oh we, no, yeah, sorry, but <laughs> more of us on, on those ones. But I think that's going to be a good matchup. Uh, the opening tournament out in Arizona is Coach Murphy broke on on the podcast that Oregon State has been added to that uh, tournament as well so that's gonna be an interesting match that, the, that doesn't happen very often mm-hmm. between us Alabama and the Beavers so haven't seen him since regionals right yeah so uh there's uh, there's different matchups throughout the year that I think they're all going to be very interesting and Alabama's schedule it's similar to what what we said with uh LSU there is some really good matchups in there probably not as tough as say what Alabama tried to do in 2020 before everything got shut down Oof. yeah but I think you have to find that happy medium. And Alabama, I think, probably did that with his schedule. Next question from Cody. He prefaced it with talking about Julia Cottrell leaving Florida. This is something we talked a little bit about in the last episode. But he wants to know our thoughts about being able to transfer in the fall. And that, again, goes back to what Bev Smith said. You really never know who's on your team any given day. And that's not something that should happen in college softball. I'm all for the portal. I especially think if you look at college football right now with all the coaches jumping ship, it is good that the players have the freedom to do what they need to do. Right. Should you be able to do that two months before the season starts? I don't think so. No, I think if you, whatever team you're on in the fall, you should have to play for that team in, in the spring. If you leave after the, after fall, then you should have to sit out that year. Um, I think that's pretty much the only scenario where you should have to sit out. I'm glad that all the other loopholes and all the other transfer uh, barriers have pretty much been lifted in, in pretty much every conference. I don't know of any that still have the sit out one. Yeah, I don't believe rule. so. Um, SEC won the last ones to pull out of that one. So uh, I think overall it is as it should be, except for they need to close that loophole of, you know, you can't transfer once you play fall. Next question, who will be the biggest impact transfer in the SEC this year? I put down a list of possible picks, Tom. 
Obviously, Allie Shipman at Alabama, the plethora of players at Arkansas, Kennedy Sullivan at Kentucky, if she can be that ace, perhaps, Bree Roper at Ole Miss, Zeta Pooney at Tennessee, Tennessee's got a bunch of people. What's your answer here? I mean, I think Shipman definitely has that, uh, that the, the case to be. Again, the, the emergence of Abby Dore, I think, takes some pressure off of Allie Shipman, yeah. uh, which I think in the long run is positive for everybody involved. Um, so she doesn't have to step in and, and be all everything. And if she needs a, a day off catching wise, Abby door, who's going to be in the lineup, regardless, I think is, is very, is very good there. And you can have Shipman as a DP in that situation. Uh, so I, I think she has a very, a very capable chance of doing that. Uh, Papito at, at Mississippi state might be, there. Yeah. uh, I, I was very impressed with what, uh, Samantha Ricketts had to say about her Callie Turner at Arkansas. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot of them. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to double down. I'm going to double down. I think the most impactful transfer will be Aaron Edmondson at Tennessee. Why? She's going to take innings away from Ashley Rogers because Ashley Rogers needs innings taken away from her. She cannot go another year throwing 217 innings and like all of them from April to the end. Right. I mean, that, that really, that can't happen again if Tennessee wants to do well. Karen Weekly was very honest about that, upfront about that. That's why she went and got Edmondson and Riley White. I think Aaron Edmondson is the better option of those two. I think she will be the most impactful transfer player. Yeah, got to have somebody that can pitch that Saturday game, that game number two, as we talked about with Tennessee, was almost, you know, mark it down as an L before. Not going to be the case anymore. Uh, and also, you know, no reason why Ashley Rogers should even pick up a glove on Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah. Final question before we get to our way too early top fives, the most anticipated SEC series for us in 2022. Shall you go first? You Man. Well, I think when whenever Alabama goes to Florida, goes to Gainesville, it's always a huge series. But I think when we look at it, the conference may come down mm. to Alabama and Missouri in the last weekend of the regular season. Wow, playing for a conference title, going to banquets. What a busy weekend <sighs> for the Crimson Tide. That is, the, that is the plan. That was my answer as well. So I'm going to look elsewhere. Okay. And I will say as kind of a sneaky one, Tennessee at Georgia, the last couple times they have played, those series have been really fun. Hmm. And while I'm not going to predict either of those teams to win the conference, that's one where I think if you don't win that series, you're out of it because yeah. I'm not sure – how you do against everybody else. That, that's one of those swing series for me for both Tennessee and Georgia. I think they both have the talent to contend. I'm not going to pick either one of them, but that's that seems like one of those fun, desperate, we need to win this, so we're going to go all out kind of series that, that gets wacky in yeah. the SEC. Plus, it's in Athens. So sure. Weird and, stuff. Yeah, and another one along those same lines could be Arkansas at Florida because I think that's going to answer a lot of questions about what Arkansas is this year. Are, are they, are they a perennial now you got to talk about Arkansas on the top of the standings every year, or was it a, just a really great year last year and maybe they're going to come back down a little bit. If they're able to go to Gainesville and win that series, then, you know, you got to think Arkansas is going to be right there. Mm. All right. Well, shall we, just put ourselves out there and see if we have Arkansas right there. This is in no particular uh, order. Right. So we're just going to say five teams, no particular order, okay. but it's our way too early SEC top fives. I'll go first this time. Okay. I'll say Alabama. All right. Yeah. I went, I, I made it real hard. Right. Go ahead. So like, am I doing somebody separate or somebody just, different? Just say one, who do you think will be in the top five? All right. Well, you said Alabama before, so I will go, I will say Florida. 
All right. My second team, I, by the way, I think they're both the correct picks. Right. Yeah. Still, even with Arkansas getting a share last year, Alabama and Florida have combined for the last like 14 right. conference <laughs> titles. Yes. So makes sense. I'm going to go with Arkansas as another one of my five teams. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if that offense is better than right. Look yeah. out. Yeah. Put Arkansas down for me as well. All right. My third team, I'm going to go with Florida. Yeah. Again, this is no particular order. And I'll do Alabama. So we got the same three. Now we got Alabama, Arkansas, and Florida. Both of us think they're going to be in the top five. Is this a scenario like last year where, again, we went into the year saying Alabama, LSU, Florida, your top three. We were, you know, 67% right. Right. But is that the same kind of deal here? Do you think that the teams we're going to say next are, are going to be able to challenge those top three? Yeah. No, I, I think I think there are more than three that can okay. win it this year. I, I think – there's, I think there's legitimately six to seven teams that if things fall correctly could win this conference. Ooh, hello. Yeah. Okay. I don't hate it. So, All right. right. I'll let you go first, Sam, Mr. Bold Prediction. What's your, who's your number four? Missouri. Okay. You're buying into the Larissa Kool-Aid I, again. I am, yes. I mean, I don't hate it because Missouri is also in my top five. <laughs> See, there you go. See, uh-huh. So here's. All right, so we've been identical. This is this is one of the reasons why it's not good that we've worked together for right. five years. Because when we do lists like this, oftentimes they are the same. They are very similar. I, I do wonder if we will have different fifth teams. See, because here's the thing. I think LSU has a chance to win the conference, and I don't have it in my top five. I don't either. I've got it down to two teams. I will not say who. Okay. I'm going to put... Uh, do it. Do it. Peer pressure. Kentucky. Whoa, that is not at all who I thought you were. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, why? Any any particular reason? No offense to the Kentucky right. fans out there, but this was not a team I had in the running. I think they have the best offensive player in the conference. Okay. And I can't I can't disagree. And I mean that at that, and then consider again, you look at how the success Kentucky has had without that. <laughs> and then yeah, and, and they're able to kind of just – we don't know how they do it because we don't know what they are every year. Yeah. But they're able to put together a team that can contend uh, if they're able to do that with somebody. like Because even when they had Abby Cheek, you know, she might have been the, the scariest hitter, but I don't know if you would say she was the best player in the league. Okay. Offensively. That's fair. I think Kowala is, as it stands right now, the best player in the league offensively. Wow. Mm, but the pitching. Okay. I know. Well, I know. If, this this will change, folks. From when we do, you can win games eight seven, just yeah. like you can win them one nothing. It's true. When we have the <laughs> our full one through thirteen polls, I can promise you these right. will change, and, sure. and there might be some switcheroos. Yeah. My fifth team, I get, I mean, I have to I have to put Tennessee. I've been okay. saying, you know, this is a team that won the portal in terms of who they brought in right. with what needs they had to fill. I think that Ashley Rogers, if Montana Fouts did not exist would be the best pitcher in this conference and maybe top three in the country. She probably is top three in the country, right. certainly top five. And I think that adding the depth behind her, also you return two of your best offensive pieces. Zeta Pooney was almost who I mentioned for impact transfer. I think people are going to be shocked when we're in the middle of the season and she's got 16, 17 home runs and she's just tough to touch. So I think Tennessee, I'm not going to pick them to win the league, but I do think right now that they would be Top five. Okay. See, we just did our top five there. And again, not necessarily one through five order, but I have Florida, Arkansas, Alabama, Missouri, and Kentucky. 
but I think both LSU, Tennessee, and possibly Georgia. Georgia was my other team right. out. I think they have a, a chance to win the league. Georgia was my was my first team out. I did not have Kentucky you have in Kentucky. the running. I did have Georgia and LSU right there as well. Now, is Kentucky kind of my Mississippi State from last year? Possibly, but. Well, you have to do that in the official poll. Right. And then if they're top five there. And, we'll see. Yeah. That, right. Because there will be one. <laughs> one of us is going to screw it up. Right. We will. We will drink the Kool Aid for somebody, and then we will totally undervalue somebody. But that's why. You, that's why you do it. That's yeah. why you play the games. That is the fall ball special. Any final thoughts before we go to the wrap up overall of this extended fourth episode? Right. Fall ball in general, just for Alabama. If you weren't able to get out and see in any of the games, uh, I think you're going to really like this team. If you're an yeah. Alabama fan, uh, a lot of new names. Or this is one of the most. The most turnover that I can remember in my year since 2015 doing play-by-play for Alabama. But I think if you can say it, might be a more talented team overall, just obviously just not as an experienced team. Uh, so I think you're going to really like the, the players. You're going li- to like them as, as people. You're going like, to love watching them play. I think they're going to have a really exciting brand of softball overall. Um, and then, you know, in, in the circle – who doesn't love Montana Fouts and Lexi Kilfoyle and everybody else too. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this team. I think they're going to be really, really good. Yeah. Ditto. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and, and mark that down. Hardcore analysis. Yes. I will second that. <laughs> well done. All right. When we get back, we'll wrap everything up, not just from day four, but of the whole dadgum thing, 13 head coaches in four episodes over two weeks. I'm exhausted. Mm. What a, what a stretch it's been. We'll talk about it all when we get back here on the out of the box podcast. time indeed we wrap up day four and because it's day four we wrap up all of softball media days here on the out of the box podcast presented by anthony Sinella realty our friends at the beach from mobile all the way down to gulf shores anthony Sinella realty.com c-i-n-e-l-l-o-r-e-a-l-t-y.com call them 251-301-7694 part of alabama beach realty Part of MEU. We thank you, Anthony, for helping to sponsor this podcast series, and we sure hope it led to some business for you. So you do it again next year. <laughs> yes, yes, that is that's how this all works. Yeah, tell them the out of the box boys sent you. Yes, probably should have said that in the previous episodes, but it's fine. I think they'll figure that out. Yeah, just let them know you heard it on the podcast. <laughs> Final thoughts from Coach Murphy, Coach Ricketts, and Coach Evans. Tom, I thought those uh, again three really really cool interviews. Uh, great perspectives from all three coaches, kind of in different spots. Overall, got some really good in-depth discussion with Alabama about Alabama players from Coach Murphy, and I've I've been really struck not just these three, but overall, like uh, how positive all the coaches are about their teams moving forward. And you know, you're you've never gone to a media days for any sport, and, and rarely is a coach say, "Yeah, we're not going to be very good." Everyone likes their teams at this point, but I think there were there was some real honest optimism from all 13 coaches about what they have this year. Yeah, there was hope. A a lot of the coaches recognized the flaws that they had last year and the flaws that they might have coming into this year. Mm -hmm. But everybody was honest and saying, but I think these are the pieces that we have that can fill those spots. I think of Auburn in in that area. I think of Florida and what Tim Walton said about the rest of the lineup after the top half. I think that this is going to be, from a talent perspective, one of the more hotly contested years we've ever had in the SEC. I don't know who's going to win the conference. And I don't know 
who's going to be the dark horse and who's going to disappoint people. Those are all things that will happen at some point. There's going to be a team we pick too high. It's going to be a team we pick too low. It happens every year. We are never hundred percent right. And I think that that will make this season very interesting. And also just from a, a personality perspective, the coaches were so honest and so open and so eager to join us. And I am forever grateful for that. It, it's tough from my perspective, because a lot of these coaches I also have to interview with, on TV and for TV. So I am unbiased in those areas, but they also kind of know I'm from Alabama. So it's an interesting little trick you have to play. And I do appreciate the coaches giving us the answers to everything that we asked. Nobody sidestepped a question in all 13 interviews. Yeah. And again, yeah, again, thanks to the coaches. Thanks for, to the sports information directors and everybody that helped get that set up, giving the trust to us that we were going to be fair in those interviews. And, and I hope, I hope all the coaches enjoyed it at least as much as or half as much as we did. Yeah. Uh, because we, we had a great time talking with everybody. And uh, as coach Murphy said, uh, this needs to be done like on a full scale basis, like with other media people. Do we get to go if that happens? I would hope so. I hope so. This Surely. was our idea. <laughs> Surely to goodness. But <laughs> yeah, I think we're, we're, we've gotten to the point where college softball uh, should have you know everyone getting together at a hotel and you know going to different media rooms. Gotta be fun. Can you imagine? Oh man, we can have an out of the box banquet and out of the banquet. It'd be great. <laughs> an out of the banquet. I'm not paying for it, but people are invited to come. That's something else we can trademark. It's the out of the banquet. <laughs> the out of the box. Banquet. Just have dinner with everybody. Sure. That's on it. That's, that's all, all I want to do. And Just... I and it was cool. And that's something else. You know, talking to Coach Evans that you know the coaches as much as they are competitors and and you know they. They want to beat everybody else, you know, eight nothing every game, and they want to do all that. But when it comes to what is best for the game, best for the individual players, even if they don't play for that yeah. for their team, you know, all the coaches want what's best for the players and for the sport. And uh, and the team, the coaches in the SEC and the teams in the SEC, uh, I think really do that at, at a high level. Yeah, everyone's on the same team, and now we're adding two more teams just for mm. fun. Uh, this is a football decision, but y'all don't even know what's about to happen in softball. This is just a couple of scrubs coming in. Yeah. Join us here Uh, in the conference. Just perennial super teams and national champions. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. I can't wait for that top five. I'm going to guess Oklahoma will be in there. Uh, will coach Riggis really be that excited when they get in they'll find out when they go to Norman (laughs) first weekend of the conference season. That's what will happen. Oh man. All right. That's uh, that's it for softball media days. What? Wow. Yeah. Again, I think it was more successful this year. I apologize to the people. If you think the interviews were too long, as I always say, when I prep for games, better to have too much and too little. And the coaches gave us a lot. Yes. That, that's one, that's one thing when coaches don't side sidestep any answers, uh, <laughs> it becomes long interviews. Yes. They answer all the questions. Right, yes. I, I would usually write down about 13 to 14 questions. So there you go. Karen Weekly, I had 20, but (laughs) it's fine. Here's what the podcast looks like going forward. Season four, Tom, Mm. that's a thing. Remember when we were like, this will be a two-year thing. Right. Now, 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 And then I never left. Right. Now the podcast can graduate college. Yes. (laughs) Long way to go to be eligible for the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame, but still, (laughs) we're doing well. (laughs) Weekly episodes will start the week before the season. It'll go all the way until a national champion is crowned. We're going back with our regular format, not the year one thing. Every week, y'all, it'll be Mondays or Tuesdays, depending on what the schedule looks like right now. The probable date of the season four premiere is February 8th, right before. That would be the Tuesday before we all go to Tucson. Mm -hmm. And uh, we would have a ton to discuss, not just in the SEC, but around the country. 
yeah, there'll be a lot to talk about. I mean, we we hope it won't be the case, but there might be a major story that'll drop like right after we post. That's usually what happens. Can't wait. <laughs> like, it, you know what's gonna be awful? It'll drop a week from today when this right. episode actually airs. Right. So there won't be a way. Nothing we can to, do. About yeah. It. Right. Yeah. Everything's out of whack. Don't try and think about it. Just you know, just let, roll with it. Let just the episode roll. wash over you. Right. Like, sand, the seawater will at the beaches. If you find a house to buy, sell, or rent from Anthony Sano Realty. Wow. Yes. It took me a while to get there, but we got there. You got there. Well done. Make sure you like and subscribe, leave a review, follow the podcast Twitter at Outthebox underscore pod. I'm at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Thomas, your Twitter. T Canterbury, C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y, R-T-R on Twitter. And uh, go back as I am trying to keep everyone sane when Alabama isn't blowing people out 40 to nothing in football. Sometimes the other team is playing well. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yes. Sometimes you're at Auburn and they have all the juju and yeah. you, you figure out a way to win at the end. Yeah. Who knows? By the time you listen to this, Alabama might be in the CFP mm. or might not. Who knows? Yeah. By the time you listen to this, Spider-Man will be coming out in a week. Wow. What a, what a time. Look <laughs> at us looking in the future. What a time to be alive. Mm. Again, follow all those accounts, like, subscribe, leave a review, follow all the Twitters. Thank you again to Coach Murphy, Coach Ricketts, Coach Evans for their help on this episode. Thank you to all the coaches, all of the SIDs. Again, great job, everybody, for emailing back quickly and being very cool with this whole idea. We obviously appreciate it. Absolutely. And we know that, you know, almost all the other SIDs have other sports and everything else that they're dealing with at this time. And uh, for them to give us the, 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 the opportunity to be able to do this, uh, in, in the off season with their coaches. We really appreciate it. Well, we did it again. What, Boom. what an event. Mm, it's like the St. Pete Clearwater elite invitational of podcasts. We pulled it off <laughs> of the Hawaii of Montana. And Park. we've got about as much room here in the studio as we did that day broadcasting softball media days is finished. We couldn't have done it without the SIDs. We couldn't have done it without the coaches. Everybody was great. Thank you so much. And we're really excited to hopefully do this again next year for year three. Also, Tom, thank you for being very easy to work with through all this. You had you had soccer, you had work, and you only missed two interviews. And we were able to really get the schedule cracking this year. Yes. And I mean, that's what I'm saying. At some point, we can just get this where everyone has to come to one spot. Yeah, that'd I'll be so that. easy. That'd you can just take a week off. Sure. Be great. <laughs> oh, season four. It's going to launch the week of the 2020 to softball season it'll be early in the week be on the lookout for an official date right now we're gunning for february 8th i've got a trailer set up for season four that i'm going to tweet out so be on the lookout for that yeah again if you just follow us at out of the box underscore pod you'll get all that information and you will not be unaware when that podcast (laughs) i'm going to tweet it so much (laughs) are you ready to play softball yes all right let's do it let's fast forward to february when we can't but we'd like to sure the season's around the corner For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. We're almost there. Thank you so much for tuning into this gargantuan series of softball media days. Thank you to our sponsor, Anthony Sanella of Anthony Sanella Realty. Again, and to all of you, thank you for tuning in. The season's coming up. We're so excited. It's going to be great. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast.